When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, that's right. It's Friday. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday, and thank God it's Frank. That means uh, it is a lot of people's favorite hour of the week. An hour where just about anything goes. What will happen ten minutes from now? Fifteen minutes from now? Thirty seconds from now? I have no idea because for the next sixty minutes, I will answer your questions on. Absolutely any subject. Call in with any question on anything. Film, politics, foreign policy, pro wrestling, egg salad, cinema, aliens, the mob, you name it, radio. You want to know some inside dirt of who's who, who's doing what in terms of radio? Now's the time. You want to know about, um, you know, stuff that I did when I was in junior high school? Now's the time. If you have questions about anything, 800-848-9222, because it's time for The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Oh, yes, that's right. And uh, we're going to sweeten the pot a little bit. We're going to uh, give away not just a prize as selected by Philippe and Matt for the best question, uh, you, but we're also going to give away two prizes. We're going to give away a prize for the second best question as well. So if you have you, the, whoever has the best question is actually going to give away a pair of tickets to the Fab Four concert at the Palladium in Times Square this Saturday. So if you want to see the Fab Four, in Times Square this Saturday for free at the Palladium Times Square Theater. Um, you will get to enjoy a pair of tickets if you come up with the best question. The Fab Four is great. They do a lot of great Beatles, uh, a lot of great Beatles songs. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, and whoever gets the second best question, you will still get a WABC cap. 800-848-9222, whatever your questions are, now is the time. Uh, let me begin with our friend John in Brooklyn, who I know tried to get through yesterday, but we didn't get to him. Hello there, John. Hello, Frank. How are you? I'm well, John. Thanks. Good. I'm, you're sounding better. I'm glad your voice is better. And before I ask you my question, I want to thank you again for that wonderful roundtable. Oh, you thank you. Tonight. Yes, we're actually – um, 
Uh, if people don't know what John is talking about, I had on uh, Rita Cosby and Dominic Carter for an hour this week. And uh, from what I understand, they're actually going to be replaying that Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. So if people didn't get to hear that and they don't have the access to the podcast. Uh, they can listen to that uh, Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. Now, I have a good question. Mm-hmm. Do you think lightning can strike twice? You <laughs> may have heard that J. Michael Straczynski was has agreed with Warner Brothers to re-visualize Babylon 5. You know, I, wonder. I, I actually did not hear about that, uh, but I'm very interested in that. That is one of my favorite science fiction shows. Mine, too. So I, I, I hope so. Look, you know, they say you can't go home again and... Um, they uh, sometimes these reimaginings and sequels are very, very good. And sometimes they're not so good. So, uh, look, I'm going to watch it. Uh, I, I'm sure I'll have my fingers crossed. We'll see. I mean, what's your inclination, John? Well, I I think it could happen again because he did such a great time, great job with the first iteration. I'm wondering what he'll do with the second one. Yeah. I, so. Fingers crossed, John. Thank you for pointing that out. I didn't know about that actually. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Ted is in Forest Hills. Hello, Ted. Hi, how are you doing? Uh, where was my father born? Where was your, how would I know where your father was born? So what's today? What's today? Today is March 25th. Greek Independence Day. Ah, so your your father was born in Greece. Yeah, my mother was born in a small town in Pennsylvania. Wonderful. So was I. Well, uh, happy Greek Independence Day to all the Teds and Forest Hills out there. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. First, a uh, note of Star Trek passing. Laurel Goodwin passed away a few weeks ago. She was in the episode The Cage as the young yeoman. And here's my question. What country would you like to visit in the future that you haven't visited yet? Um, well, I, you know, so I've never been to uh, – my wife really wants to go to Ireland. And I guess I would like to go to Ireland with, with her because um, because she really wants to go, and I've heard it's beautiful. Uh, and, um, you know, I've never been to Greece. I've had a lot of family and friends that have visited Greece. I have a friend who has uh, a house in Greece that um, has uh, he's invite, invited me to stay over there. So I've heard that's beautiful. I, I would say those are probably number one and number two on my list. Oh, try Israel, too. That's a nice place to visit. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, obviously, as a lover of history, I'd very much like to visit Israel. So I'll make those my top three, uh, Israel, Israel, Greece, and Ireland in, in any order. Right. Have a good night, Brian. Thank you, Pete. 800-848-9222. John is in Bayonne. Hello, John. Hi, Frank. You were just talking about prizes for the best um, question. I have a question on a movie. It's from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Okay. And it's the Alec Baldwin uh, scene. Um, A, what was his name in the movie, even though they didn't say it? Um, and then B, what are the top three prizes that he offered the salesman? Uh, well, um, for, first prize was a Mercedes. Uh, second prize was a set of steak knives. And uh, a third prize was, you, I think you get to keep your job, right? Nope. It's uh, first prize at the Cadillac. Second prize, you're right, a set of steak knives. 
And then third prize is you fired. Right. That's right. I don't remember the character's name, uh, John. Are you Blake. asking me because you want to know or are you trying to do a trivia question? I know. it. It's Blake. Blake. Thank you. All right. I really don't like trivia questions for this. Um, but if you want to ask it, I mean, obviously, there's nothing that I can do to stop you. But just so boring to me. I either know it or I don't know it. Right. I mean, you're not going to get a prize, I don't think, unless Philippe and Matt are in a, uh, a curious mood. Uh, I, you're not going to get a prize of by, you know, by doing that. 800-848-WABC. Robert is in Philadelphia. Hello, Robert. Hey, Frank. How you doing? Well, I, I think before, I'm doing pretty well. Before I ask my question, I just wanted to take a quick second to give you kudos on those interviews with Stone and Manafort. Oh, thank I you mean, very much. Thank I, you. I know they caused a star, rightfully so, but you got a gift for interviews. I've never heard an interview done with the, with your style like that, and it drew out all the information you wanted, and it it was just amazing. I was really impressed by that. Well, that's but very anyway, kind my, of you to say. I appreciate that. Um, my question to you is, what do you think is the greatest sequel of all time? Ooh, that is such a good question. Um, so there's a few. So look, um, I'm going to think out loud here. So The Godfather Part Two, for instance, is one of the greatest movies of all time. But mm-hmm. I am actually still partial to Godfather Part One. Now, because Godfather Part Two is such a good sequel, does that make it one of the best sequels of all time? I don't know. In my view, when we talk about the best sequels of all time, I think um, the 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 really I'm thinking about a sequel that's better than the movie that it's a sequel to. And there's right. two. There, there are a few that fit that bill. But there's two that immediately come to mind. Uh, there's a case to be made for many, but there's two that immediately come to mind. One is uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Uh, from mm-hmm. It's about 40 years old. And the second is Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Both good movies. I would go with your original because not only was The Godfather 2 a sequel, it was also a prequel. Mm. And you found yourself rooting for two distinctly different but related antiheroes in the same movie. I think that was a cinematic masterpiece. But you give a great answer as always. Well, you have a good night, Frank. Thank you. You know, And you know what I'll also consider? And I'm happy with any of those three is my answer. But what I'd also consider is The Color of Money. With Paul Newman, uh, 26 years after the movie that it was a sequel to, maybe one of the longest gaps in cinema history. But uh, that was a great sequel. Is it is? See, I think a sequel also should be able to stand on its own. It should be really enjoyable for people that have seen the first movie, but it should also be enjoyable for people that have not. Uh, That is, that's my opinion. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Tom is in Bergen Beach. Hello, Tom. Hey, Frank, uh, my grandmother used to make an egg salad similar to with the, with the exception that she added a little cumin. But I like the idea of slicing the eggs a little bit, not crushing it all up. I mean, that's how I was. And here's my question for you. Um, I know you're a fart smell. I need a, a smart fellow, but uh, <laughs> I was just wondering. <laughs> I was just wondering if you guys uh, at the studio had some olfactory issues with everybody eating so much egg salad. Uh, n- no, so far, so good. So far, um, I haven't noticed anything. Uh, Tom, so uh, I think we're okay in that respect. Good question, though. Good question. 
800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Henry is in Manhattan. Hello, Henry. Hi, uh, Frank. I have uh, two questions very different from each other. Uh, One, do you think uh, it would serve uh, any purpose uh, for the confidence of a kid uh, for a parent to say, you know, this year you got a right in vote to be president of the United States? Well, um, I mean, I, I guess every child is different. I think it would it would depend on that individual uh, child's psyche. I mean, if he has very low self-esteem um, and and would really be buoyed by something like that, I would kind of defer to the the parent there. But um, if it's somebody that is familiar with presidential elections and write in votes, then I would think they probably wouldn't want their parent writing in a vote for someone because that's literally a wasted vote because we don't actually vote for president. We vote, as you know, Henry, for a presidential electors that are pledged to a certain candidate. Even write-in candidates in New York, for instance, have to submit a, uh, a slate of electors. So, um, But look, if it's something that uh, helps a kid's self-confidence and uh, a parent wants to do it, then I would defer to the parent there. Okay. And the second question, do you have any idea how within a prison uh, the uh, white collar criminals uh, are reacted to by the people who do crimes with guns? Well, generally, those people are not sent to the same prisons. Uh, So it does happen. uh, But uh, usually if you're if you're uh, Rod Blagojevich, you're not sent to the same prison as somebody that uh, has murdered eight people. Um, you know, there are minimum security prisons, medium security facilities, and maximum security facilities. And um, but now it does happen. There is some... Uh, there is some overlap. Uh, I think Bernie Carrick, for instance, uh, was... At, you know you know when it happens? Like, usually while... You, if you come to New York to be... Um, you know, uh, for a, a bail hearing or you come to New York for a hearing in your case and you you stay at the MDC or the MCC, the MDC and MCC, because they're meant to be temporarily holding cells, although temporary could be up to a year, then that's where you get an opportunity to interact with people that are of a very different criminal classification than you. And from what I can tell, um, everybody is pretty civil with one another for the most part. Um, the, the two people, the two groups of people that have the toughest time in prison from what I can tell are rats and, um, and, and child molesters. Those are people that are are really viewed hostily by everybody. There are other people that may have a hard time, but those are the people that have a hard time every minute of every day and are constantly uh, in danger of being assaulted or 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 killed. In fact, um, you know, at Rikers, I don't know if this is still the case because they've done so much social engineering at Rikers that I can't keep track of what's what over there. But they used to have a special wing. And I know we have some listeners in Rikers. So if anybody's listening right right now from Rikers, they can reach out to me and let me know uh, if I'm speaking uh, the current truth. But they used to have a wing just for um, pedophiles, basically, and other other sexual predators because they were in such danger from the rest of the population. And there was one prisoner 
who assaulted a female correction officer at Rikers. And he didn't just assault her. I think he threw urine at her or something like that. And there's a fella named uh, Gary Hayward who wrote a book called Corruption Officer. And uh, he writes in this book, he was a correction officer that then became a criminal and then, um, you know, got sent to prison himself. In this in this book, he writes how this woman, this uh, this this correction officer, she actually had the the inmate or I think they call him a detainee because a lot of them are pre-conviction. The had the detainee that threw the urine at her transferred to the wing with all the sexual predators, even though he wasn't a sexual predator, just to kind of get back at him. Uh-huh. Uh, one more question, if you, it's okay. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Henry. Go oh, ahead. Just... Did you ever hear of something called the Goldback Conjecture? The Goldback Conjecture. Um, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I, I don't. I can't put my finger on it. No. It, it has to do with prime numbers, but. All right. Yeah, I know you're the prime number guy, Henry. Still celebrating March 21st, but uh, uh, that's out of my out of my league. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Michael is in Cliffside Park. Hello, Michael. Yeah, uh, I want to ask you a question that involves the future of this country. It's a quick one. Uh, We dropped two atomic bombs on Japan, one on Hiroshima and one on Nagasaki. Each bomb was the equivalent of 20,000 tons of dynamite. If things go wrong and we make the wrong decisions, and if Russia decides to use their weapons, they'll use a hydrogen bomb. Do you know what the explosive capability of a hydrogen bomb is? I don't, but the next time we have uh, an expert on that does know about that. Yeah, it's one million tons of dynamite, which would basically incinerate the entire city of New York. So before these gung-ho people keep screaming that we should do more and more, think about that. See that? Okay, Michael, see, that's not really a question. That's more of you you just kind of making a statement and wanting a platform to give your opinion. I really – I think a lot of people get a lot out of this hour because they appreciate the questions and my answers. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Mike in New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. Frank, first question: How's your How's your throat feeling? A lot better, thank you. I'm gonna, I'll give you a sound, full update a later, but yeah, I'm feeling a lot better. Good to hear. So, my question is: Did you ever save anyone's life? I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to think. I, uh, I, you know, I, I, no, I, I don't believe that I have, and um, no, I don't. I don't think I have. Well. Maybe in the future you will. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, I, I hope I'm not in a position where uh, something something that crazy is, is happening in front of me. But uh, if, um, you know, if, if I am, then I hope I'm up to the task. You know, it's funny. My dad flew us all down to uh, Walt Disney World for, I think, his 65th birthday or uh, might have been. His, yeah, I think it was his 65th birthday. And. They had a, I arrived late or we, we, my wife and I, my girlfriend at the time, we had dinner at the airport because we were hungry getting off the plane and they all, the rest of my family that was down there, including my uh, cousins and, you know, uncles and aunts and everybody, you know, it was a big, big party. They had a party before I got there, like a party for everybody's first night in town, but they all had this party before I arrived there. So at that party, my father's best friend uh, who I call my uncle John, even though he's not actually my uncle, but they go back to since they were, you know, eight years old together. 
my father was choking on a piece of steak or something, and my uh, my uncle John did the Heimlich maneuver and uh, and was able to dislodge the the steak uh, that he was choking on. So it's um, you always got to be ready. You never know when those life saving opportunities arrive. But no, I don't think I've ever saved someone's life. Not that I could think of. Aside from being a blood donor, which I am, and a, a platelet donor, which I am pretty regularly. We'll continue with your questions in a minute. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. is the other side of midnight that's ava max singing one of my favorite songs a song that's quite catchy uh ava max and i think a lot of us fellas have known women like the one she is singing about there uh we are in the midst of a good old-fashioned the other side of midnight proudly presents ask frank ask frank anything ask frank anything ask frank anything Whatever your questions, I'll do my best to answer them. Whatever you have questions about, any subject is fair game. Frank is in Queens. Hello, Frank. Hey, Frank. I'll be turning 50 years old this summer, so I've kind of been a little bit uh, retrospective and nostalgic. And at times I I think back, what was the best year of my life? Or, Or what year would I relive if God gave me the opportunity? So outside of your marriage or the birth of your child, either adulthood or your youth, what year would you like to relive? Um, let's, you know, honestly, uh, I know you said um, n- notwithstanding the birth of my child, I'll say 2020 because, honestly, so many great things happened for me in 2020. Not only did, um, <clears throat> not only did I have, uh, I, I get the, job that I've been uh, striving for my entire life, which is to work at this radio station. But um, my wife and I moved into a house for the first time, and we had uh, a bunch of good Atlantic City trips, uh, a nice Vegas trip. And um, the, the, the only president that I've ever voted for who got elected was still in office. So I'll say 2020. Interesting. I, I'm i sort of a, an Al Bundy when it comes to this stuff. I, I like to go back to my high school years. So for me, it would be 10th grade, 1987, primarily, Frank, because I met my first girlfriend and I lost my virginity. Oh, well, that'll do it. That's always big. Yeah, I had a good 18th year as well. I had a lot of, you know, the uh, my, my uh, when I was 20, that was a big year. But, you know, I, I honestly, I... um. I like 2020. I know 2020 got such a bad rap because of COVID and all the riots around the um, all the riots around the country and all, all the lockdowns. But uh, honestly, for me, 
uh, even with all that, it was a, a very, very good year. 800-848-WABC. Neil is in Manhattan. Hello, Neil. Hi, Frank. This is Neil. I'm, uh, I was wondering, uh, I'm calling actually about dreams. Do you have dreams? I have a series of questions. Do you have dreams, and can you remember them? You know, it's such a good question. I usually only am cognizant of having dreams on Friday nights into Saturday morning because that's usually the only night that I get a full night's sleep. And uh, it's, I guess maybe it's a more relaxed sleep and a deeper sleep. And I, I, if I don't write them down as soon as I wake up, then I don't remember them. So my wife, I would complain to her about this all the time, is that I would have these vivid, vivid dreams. And as I'd be waking up and lying in bed, I'd want to tell her all about them because they were so interesting. And then I would forget as soon as I got out of bed. So she got me this journal uh, where I'm supposed to write down all my dreams on Saturday morning. But I haven't, uh, I, you know, I haven't always been as diligent as I'd like to be. Okay, another question. When you have these dreams, are you in the dream like an actor or are you uh, an observer like you're watching television? See, um, no, I'm in the dream. I'm in the dream. I you're see it. I see it from time. my perspective, usually, from what I can recall. Okay. Do you ever have nightmares? Yes, absolutely. There have been days where I've had nightmares so bad that um, that I end, I find myself crying. I actually will find my pillow uh, saturated from from tears, uh, trying to figure out what go, what's going on, and then I realize that I've been crying um, from a nightmare. The most consistent nightmare that I have is yeah, one. Sorry. I was gonna, I was going to say, do the nightmares recur? Yeah. So there's one um, recurring nightmare that I have. One is um, I'll go to pick at my teeth or my mouth or something, and my teeth start falling out. Or I'll go to scratch at my tongue, and my tongue um, it almost becomes like wood, and my tongue starts flaking off. So they're really like a professional nightmare. You're afraid you won't be able to talk anymore and lose, I, I, lose your livelihood. I, I guess so. I think that's what I was living on Wednesday when I tried to do the show with no voice, uh, Neil. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Al's in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Hey, good morning. I'm glad you're feeling better. C- Curtis's Thanks. dream is he said he wants to do the week, and he says your nightmare would be doing the weekend. So I don't know about that. <laughs> Hey, listen, when you were younger, right, if you had to make a choice other than um, radio, what was your parents' choice for you to be, and what was your choice as a backup? Uh, so and then my- a little side question. A little side question would be, if four services, if you got inducted, which would you choose if you had a choice? And that's all. Um, so the, I, I would choose the army. Um, it, but, um, I, you know, m- my father has never really expressed a, uh, career preference for me. I don't think that not, none that I can recall. Uh, I think my mother, uh, really always wanted me. I think she still wants me to be an attorney. Uh, she sees a lot of people that I grew up with making a lot of money, uh, getting elected to being judges and elected officials. And I think in her view, you, she thinks that's really uh, that would be a, such an accomplished thing if I were to have become yeah, an attorney. As it is right now, believe me. Sorry, 
you're half a lawyer as it is. If you listen to all your conversations, well, yeah, especially politics, you yeah, know. Well, I, I uh, thank you. I think, uh, but uh, uh, if I wasn't doing this, I don't. Um, you know, again, when I was much younger. I uh, I did have aspirations, and I'll, I'll exclude television talk show host as well. But I did have uh, aspirations of uh, maybe being a filmmaker. And then uh, throughout most of my grade school p- career, I either wanted to be a professional baseball player or a professional uh, a professional wrestler. But I think that ship has probably sailed. So I'm pretty content uh, here on the radio. I'll be honest. Uh, let's hope uh, nothing happens to this job. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Uh, let me say hello to uh, Jorge in Washington Heights. Hello, Jorge. Hi. Hello, Frank. Uh, good morning. Yes, my question tonight uh, will be, who are the present leaders of the independent party? Well, there really is no independent party, as it were. There might be some groups out there um, calling themselves the independent party nationally, but um, there's no really national independent party to speak of. Here in New York State, we did have something called the Independence Party, uh, but that lost its ballot access because of this horrible uh, law that Governor Cuomo signed. That's why the irony of him now talking about running as an independent is not lost on me because he made it so much harder to actually run for office as as an independent. Wow. All right. Thank you very much. Thank man. you, Jorge. 800-848-WABC. Russell is in Ohio. Hello, Russell. Hey, Frank. How are you, uh, how are you and your uh, family doing? Everybody's doing great. Thanks for asking. I heard the other night where you uh, got a lot of radios and stuff. And as you know, I'm a ham radio operator. I just wondering uh, what kind of radios you have and uh, if they're old or what. Um, So I have two old transistor radios. I have two newer transistor radios that are fashioned to look old. I have a hand-operated um, radio, like a crank radio that I keep in the car for emergencies. That's also a flashlight. I have a, a radio from 1946, uh, that, uh, that I found in, which works, uh, which I found in a, um, like an antique shop in Cape May. I have a record player that's also a CD player and a radio. And I have two, C Crane, um, C Crane and Company radios. And then somebody recently sent, and I, I feel like I'm missing a couple, but those are the ones that I, that most immediately come to mind. Okay. That's pretty cool. I'm, I'm glad somebody else got a lot of collection of, <laughs> I've got radios from uh, all eras from, uh, all the Nazis, Germany and Japan and uh, Russia. And I've got a, uh, well, I'm listening to a, uh, a uh, RCA uh, 348 come out of a uh, B-17 Flying Fortress at the moment. Well, it, well, that's pretty cool, Russell. And, you know, I keep buying radios. I'm trying to remember. I was so impressed. I was looking up the um, online reviews. I found this article for the best reception for AM radios, and I ended up buying this this radio. And I, I said, when am I going to get another radio? I think I gave it away to somebody. But it's a beautiful radio, and... Um, I, I, you know, again, radios to me are like books. I just can't help myself. But uh, 
but uh, I keep, but keep buying them. One line opened up if you want to call in, 800-848-9222, taking your questions on any subject. Doug is in Michigan. Hello, Doug. Hey, how you doing? Well, Doug, I am as fine as a maiden's flaxen hair. Okay. My question is, do you know what skip distance is? No. Okay, I'm listening to you on a small transistor radio, um, and it only happens at night. AM radio can skip distance all the way to Waterford, Michigan, and even farther. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Garden City. Hello, Mark. Hi, Frank. Hi. Frank, I wanted to ask you, um, do you know who the gentleman is who calls in every weekend to Curtis's show, and he claims that he lives in your neighborhood? He's got a dog named Rusty. I just <laughs> don't remember his name. Yeah, you I know? heard that guy. Uh, no, I have no idea who that guy is. None. It's very funny. I mean, I know it's all, you know. Yeah, no, it's, it's I think it's hysterical. Up. I think it's hysterical. I like that guy a lot. Uh, but no, I have no idea who he is. Uh, and I'm almost sure, certain that he does not live in my neighborhood, but he is funny. Yeah, he says he sees you walking around, that he sees you with diapers and every other thing. Right. I, I heard, no, he, the guy is uh, a very talented comic, I must say. But no, I have no idea who he is. And Frank, he tells the story so seriously. Oh, absolutely. He's a gifted storyteller. I love that. Yeah, it's it's really funny. Yeah, he he's pretty cool. No, I don't know who he is, uh, but I, I am I'm betting dollars to donuts that he's not somebody that I've ever interacted with. But he he is a a, a really a big part of what makes Curtis's overnight show on the weekend so terrific. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Israel is in Brooklyn. Hello, Israel. Hi, I have uh, one question each on. One on uh, on uh, two of your most favorite subjects. Okay. One is about uh, donating blood, which you mentioned uh, that you do, and the other is about the USPS uh, delivery system. The what okay. the US so, what the what the USPS or US what was the last thing? USPS, United States. The Postal, Postal Service. Service. Okay, got it. Yeah, which I know you like. Uh, yep. Okay, so first about donating blood. This. It's a very interesting question. Um, as you know, uh, someone with uh, type A blood cannot donate to type B, and so also in reverse, because uh, ty- because type B has antibodies against uh, the right. A blood type, and therefore it can't accept. Now, the question, however, is we know also that a type A could donate to someone who has type AB. Now, the question arises, um, before that, actually, uh, type A, the explanation is that the reason why AB could accept A is because he doesn't have any antibodies to A because he has both AB type. Um, and if he would have antibodies, it would attack his own blood. But the question arises that when you donate from an A to AB, along with the A blood is coming uh, antibodies against B type. So why wouldn't that attack the AB. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, That's a little bit above my pay grade. I, I don't know. Okay, but it's a simple answer. It's very cool that these compatibility types are only in regards to blood cells, 
not plasma. Interesting. So, okay. Yeah. So that answers everything because absolutely true. You cannot a cannot donate plasma to an A B type. Got it. And real plasma. quick, Israel, I want to try and get to some other yeah. people. What's your other question? Okay, that other question is about USPS. Is there a difference, and if there is, what is the difference between a sectional center facility in the USPS system and a regional distribution center? I, I, I have no idea. I'd have to research that one, Israel. I don't either. I, yeah, this, I, I, yeah I, knows. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, we're overdue to have somebody uh, from the union representing the postal workers on, so uh, I will ask that question. It's not one that I've ever thought about it, honestly. Karen's in Rockland County. What's your question, Karen? Uh, I'm fascinated with your denunciation, enunciation segment. Thank you. I just wonder, where do you get your ideas from for the, uh, you know, the questions? Well, uh, the people that are commended or denounced, I keep track the whole week as as I'm exposed to the news. If there's ever somebody that does something good or something bad, but it doesn't rise to the level of me doing a talk topic about them, then I will mm-hmm. put them on my list. I keep a list, a running list in my mobile phone at all times. Oh, so uh, it's yeah, something I find it fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Karen. Thank you. 800-848-WABC-1. Two, three open lines if you have any questions. 1-800-848-9222. Alfredo is in Newark. Hello, Alfredo. Yes, Frank. How are you? Good. Uh, my question is, if uh, you don't mind, have you ever been in jail? And if so, what was the charge? Well, I've been in jail many times, uh, but I've never spent the night in jail. I've never, um, you know, I've been in jail visiting people. But I've never been, I've never spent the jail, I've never spent a night in jail as an inmate. No. Yeah, I wasn't meaning that. No, oh, I know. Right. I, Thank I'm you. Teasing. Yeah. Uh, no, there was a, a, a bench warrant for my arrest issued for a parking ticket. Not a parking ticket, a, a, a ticket uh, for being in the park after it was closed. I'll tell that story another day. Maybe this coming week. I'll tell that story because that's a lengthy story that uh, one hour where we don't have a lot of guests. I'll tell that story. But uh, I didn't respond to the ticket and they issued a bench warrant for my arrest. But uh, they didn't end up, you know, actually arresting me. 800-848-WABC. Roberta is on Staten Island. Hello, Roberta. Hey, Frank. Uh, I just saw a poll on TV that says uh more people like Trump than Biden. And I want to know who, who are they polling? Nobody ever calls me and asks me. Are they calling people? Or how do these polls You know, work? Roberta, yeah. that is such a good point. And that's one of the many reasons that I don't put a lot of a lot of stock into into polling, because I, I think these polls are nonsense. I think the existing polling models fail. And I think we've seen time and again that they get things wrong. In fact, in 2020, even though they predicted the correct winner in 2020, the polling, if you look at the polling, it was more off than it was in 2016. So the polling models, I think, are antiquated. And I, I really hate letting polling drive news coverage it just it it kills me it kills me i'd rather you know actually report on actual substance than oh the poll numbers say this the poll numbers say that kills me 800-848-WABC that's 800-848-9222 danny is in the boogie down bronx hey frank Uh, i got a question for you i'm ready what do you think about kbj's nomination to the supreme court especially since she couldn't answer a question what is a woman 
because she's not a biologist. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's not who I would have picked, but in general, uh, not to repeat everything I said on the Bernie and Sid show yesterday, but uh, in general, I tend to think unless a president uh, appoints his high school buddy who's completely unqualified or tries to appoint his dog or tries to appoint his sixth grade uh, son, I think unless a president appoints someone that has no qualifications to be on the court, uh, I think deference should be given to whomever presidents nominate. And uh, even though it's not who I would have nominated, I think uh, she's certainly qualified. And uh, if I were in the Senate, I would vote to confirm her. All right, Frank, I got to disagree with you, but I... All right, well, that's your prerogative. Thank you, Danny. 800-848-WABC. Mike's in New Rochelle. Hello, Mike. Good morning, Frank. I got a question for you about Goodfellas. But first, I'd like to say, I think the neighbor that's talking about you with your garbage and your cigars, I believe his name is Tom Bodet Jr. No way. Really? To him real clo- if you listen to him real closely, it sounds just like Tom Bodet, but you got you got to... Imagine it with the violins and the piano. I'm just you know, guessing. I, you know, I, I don't think so. Just because I've invited Tom Bodet on uh, this program many times, and he has not accepted any of my invitations. So I can't imagine that he would turn down my invitations and then spend his weekends in the wee hours of the morning calling Curtis. Maybe he's got a son. Maybe. Possible. Possible. If- Good fellas, there was a scene in the restaurant. I've never been able to figure this out. Frankie Carbone is looking at Morty, and he starts speaking to him in Italian. Morty is Jewish. Do you have an explanation for that? And if you were chosen for a part in that movie, which part would you have liked to play? Uh, well, um, you know, it's funny. I, I'm trying to remember the scene. I, I don't remember the scene that well. Goodfellas, I, I liked it, and I've seen it uh, several times, but I don't know that like I know Casino or The Godfather or, uh, you know, a lot of other a lot of other films like that. But, um, you know, I guess as far as the part that I would have liked to play, uh, I would say maybe the uh, the the Jimmy Burke character, uh, the Robert De Niro. Wow, I would have went for a more fun part myself. I like Tootie. Which one is Tootie? See, it's been so long since I saw the picture. I don't even really Paulie, remember all the Paulie's characters. Paulie's brother. Oh, Paulie's brother. Yeah, yeah, he was a character. I would not pick Joe Pesci. That's for sure. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. We'll continue with your questions in just a minute. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Um, answering your questions on any subject. One line just opened up, so you can give us a call if you have a question. 800-848-9222. I'm going to go through some email questions. Anna um, writes, these questions are terrible! Exclamation point. I'm not sure if that's a reflection of, of the callers or if that's a re- reflection of, of Philippe. Who is the uh, phone, the telephone talent wow. coordinator today? But um, then she, uh, I'll try and go through the, the couple of email questions quickly. Uh, here's something I've wanted to know. You meant, once mentioned that you called Alan Combs and Sam Greenfield's show. What were they each like when you called and were they different? 
Were they different? I'm not sure what that means. See, that's why I prefer the phone questions. I don't know if she means were they different from one another. Of course they were different from one another. Or if she means were they different than how they were in real life. Uh, Both of them were very nice. And uh, I got to know both of them in real life later on. And I got to know Alan much better, obviously, before he died. Uh, Both of them were great on the radio to me and uh, great when I got to know them later on. Mike writes, hi, friend, autographs. If so, who's the most famous person you've signed for? I'm trying to think. I I, I can't remember the last time that I was asked for an autograph. I think you could count on one hand the number of autographs that I've signed in my life. And um, nobody famous has ever asked for an autograph. Daniel writes, um, how is admitting uh, 100,000 destitute Ukrainian refugees into the U.S., all of whom will receive $600 a month from the Social Security Trust Fund on top of housing and medical benefit to the U.S. taxpayers? Um, Big fan, Daniel. I don't know that that's the case. Um, I I don't know what kind of benefit package that they're going to be receiving. I don't know that they're going to be destitute also. Uh, I'm, you know, so look, the United States helped um, bring about this war, right, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. And so a lot of people that are homeless because of it, I think the United States definitely has a role uh, for these people's homes being shattered in helping find a place for them to live, at least temporarily. Um, but uh, how is it a benefit for the taxpayers? I don't know. I guess maybe you broaden your tax base by uh, by creating a number of people who, if they ever get uh, a, a status where they're able to work legally, that they're paying payroll taxes. I, I can't answer that uh, question. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Bob is in New Brunswick. Hey Frank, how you doing? Every morning at four a.m. you have that little gospel song from the Silver Swan Tones. I'm not tired yet. Right, the Swan Silver Tones. Yes. Uh, I'm glad you corrected me. I got a question. I was going to send. Uh, this um, question to you in the mail, but if I was able to send a donation into you for whatever cause you need it, is there any way you can like burn that on a CD for me? Cause I have no access to internet or anything. I got a cassette tape and a flip phone. Yeah. Uh, well, so do you have a CD player? Yeah, I'm a CD player. Yeah, if you um, I'm, I'll put you on hold. You don't have to make a donation. Um, you know, call back at two o'clock after you know we get through these uh, these questions and uh, g- give your address to Philippe, and I'll I'll get that done within the next couple of weeks. Okay. I really appreciate it, Frank. Yeah, great a song. Night. Thank you. That song I actually stole that from Curtis. Curtis, uh, he used to do this show. He was on from two to six a.m. Overnights, and I used to listen. He did a great job, and um, I he he would play that at the top of every hour. And I always said when I would be listening to Curtis doing overnight radio, I said if I'm ever on doing my own overnight radio show, I'm going to play that for the last hour. And uh, uh, ultimately, I was in a position to do so. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Frank is in Babylon. Hello, Frank. Hi. Good evening. Um, my question is about. The the um, terminology I've I've heard it said about the James Webb Telescope. Uh, it's about space and uh, ability to look back when you know through the telescope at the the very beginning of the universe. 
I don't understand. I, do you have an understanding of what that all really means? Well, what I, are the, you know, what? yeah, I, I think it has to do with the time that it takes light to travel great distances like the from what I understand. And I'm going to do another segment next Thursday with Dr. Sky and I'll bring this up with him. But my understanding is that the stars that the uh, that the James Webb telescope is photographing now aren't necessarily even there anymore. That's uh, light from stars that may have existed thousands of years ago. Uh, so uh, that's my understanding. But don't quote me on that. I'll do a follow-up on that with Dr. Sky on Thursday. 800-848-9222. Coming up at uh, 2 o'clock, Marlena Schiavo will be here. We are going to be joined by Ambassador Peter Ford the former British ambassador to Syria at 3.30. And then at 4.30, we'll do an Oscar preview with uh, Jason Frank Konigsberg, who is uh, a a terrific movie critic. I love him. 800-848-9222. open line if you want to jump on board. Still, if you call in the next five minutes, whoever comes up with the best question, um, we we have two prizes to give away. One is a piece of WABC merchandise. And the second is a pair of tickets to the Fab Four this weekend uh, in Times Square. So try and come up with something creative. So try and come up with something interesting. Uh, Tom writes, um, what do you think the right wing would be saying if the husband or wife of a liberal justice had sent the White House where Clarence Thomas's wife sent asking the White House to help overturn the 2020 election? Uh, answer, I think they'd be going crazy just as the left wing is with uh, Clarence Thomas's wife. I mean, you know, uh, in politics, the one thing that's consistent is where you stand depends on where you sit. I think they'd be going nuts. Or, or what do you make of the silence coming from the Supreme Court re Clarence Thomas's uh, hospitalization? A nothing burger, or do you think he may be in worse health than has been announced thus far? I, I don't know. That's uh, uh, only speculative, but uh, I uh, certainly hope He's he's not in uh, poor health. I, I mean, my guess is it's just a flu. But when you get to be his age, you can never take things like that for granted. 800-848-9222. Jerry is in Jefferson, New Jersey. Hello, Jerry. Hey, Frank. Uh, I've always wondered, you know, when you, you're at the gas pump and whether it's 239.9 or 409.9, where does that one-tenth of a penny go? <laughs> yeah, it's tough to get nine tenths of a penny. Yeah, I, it's um, it's it, that's it's a good question. I'm waiting for the gas station that that uh, starts a sale to sell uh, eight tenths of a penny. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. No, I'm just always wondering. You think of that throughout the years since I've been growing up, that's billions of dollars. Well, no, but you're still paying that same price, though. It's not like you're getting a tenth of a penny for free. Right, but I'm saying that. So if they have to put on their accounting books, let's say 409.9, but they actually got 410, where yeah. does that one-tenth go? Yeah, well, I, that's, a, that's a good question. See, back when um, back when gas prices hadn't reached a dollar per gallon, um, you know, a one-cent tax would have been substantial, right? But now... They don't want to lose business by raising their prices that much. Instead, they increase the price on every gallon by nine tenths of a cent. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know. It goes back to when gas used to cost only pennies. I know that it's always been priced that way. Uh, but you're right. Uh, it, it makes sense. 
Right, or at least nine tenths of cents. That's a fair one. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Newark, New Jersey. Hello, Mark. Thank you, Frank. Uh, Frank, will you move from your home if you see ghosts in your basement? No, I'm going down with the ship. I'm not. Let- I ain't afraid of no ghosts. I'm letting. Uh, my wife thinks our house actually might be haunted, uh, and you know it doesn't bother me at all. I could sleep through anything. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Peter is in Queens. Hello, Peter. Good morning, Frank. I want your opinion. Uh, I'm a senior, and I'm a Democrat, but now that the Biden laptop has been authentic, do you think anything will come of it? Uh, Yes, I actually do. I I think there's a very good chance uh, that you might see some uh, I, I, I don't I think you could see some criminal charges or something. And there's a lot to choose from uh, there. So, yes, I actually do think there might be something that comes of that. I think it's very possible, uh, Peter. Good question. Doug is in Manhattan. Hello, Doug. Good morning, Frank. Morning. Of all of Curtis Sliwa's former wives, significant others now former, not current. Right. Who did you dislike the most? Who was just the most bizarre? Melinda Katz. And why? Uh, because she she drove him crazy. She was belligerent. She was um, controlling. She was uh, divisive. You know, he, Curtis would get off the phone with Melinda Katz. And, no, he wouldn't get off the phone. He, she'd be screaming at him on the phone, and he would throw his phone across the room. He, it was it was I mean it was a toxic relationship and she struck me as a a very ill-tempered person now she's very nice whenever i met her but um i remember when she ran for district attorney i remember thinking i can't think of someone less qualified to put people in jail than her and yet somehow the person she ran against was even more of a wacko than she was tiffany caban tiffany caban who wanted to basically open up all the jails to um I, i found myself literally praying that Melinda Katz would beat Tiffany Caban for DA. But if I had to pick, um, you know, honestly, I like most of Curtis's exes. Um, Mary, who I still am very good friends with, she's terrific and a very good mother to Anthony. Um, Lisa, I've always been a big fan of. And uh, certainly his current wife, Nancy, is a delight. I didn't know his first wife. And he had one serious girlfriend named Gail, uh, who I, I didn't really know that well. But uh, I would say the, the only one that really rubbed me the wrong way was Melinda Katz. All right. Uh, Matt and Philippe, do we have a, a one and two for best question? We do. Let's hear it. You want number two first. Number two was Jerry and Jefferson. Okay. Jerry and Jefferson. And what was his question again? He was the uh, the nine-tenths of a nine dollar. Nine-tenths, okay. That was a good question. Yeah, and I'm going to research that a little bit more. And who was the other one? And number one was Neil from Manhattan about your dreams. Neil from Manhattan. Dreams. Okay, so Neil from Manhattan and Jeff, Jerry from Jefferson call back. We're going to give Neil the Fab Four tickets if he wants him, if he wants them. Yes. And uh, if he doesn't want them, then we'll give him merchandise. And then Jerry and Jefferson get stuck with whatever Neil from Manhattan doesn't want. So, Neil, call back 800-848-9222. Give these guys your um, your information, and we'll get back to you. Uh, if you didn't get your question asked today, you can email me. I'll try and answer it on Tuesday, and then we'll do this again next Friday. Marlena Schiavo joins me in mere seconds. Until then, keep asking questions. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Well, if you listen to the show last Friday, Friday actually happens to be uh, both according to the streaming numbers, which the live streaming, and in terms of the podcast downloads. Friday mornings, for whatever reason, happen to be our most listened to show of the week. So, if you heard this show seven days ago, you would have heard me for three hours. Um, you would have heard me for three hours promoting. The appearance of one of my favorite guests, the inimitable, the one and only Marlena Shivo. And I announced repeatedly that she was going to be coming on in the four o'clock hour for the entire hour. And I had a long list of things that I was going to ask her about. And then uh, lo and behold, when four o'clock came around. No, Marlena Shivo. I had to come up with something else. So, um, lo and behold, here she is, only seven days late, the one and only veteran media producer, satirist, social critic, and mom, Marlena Shivo. Where were you last week? Um, well, People were worried about you. I, I, I did. I, did, I caught that. Um, I was sleeping. Okay. This never happens. It was such an anomaly. Like, my alarm goes off at 1230 and continues to go off until my eyes opened at 440 in the morning. It, the volume was down low. But the odd thing is, is that I never sleep through the night as as a normal thing. It's I definitely wake up. I definitely either go to the bathroom or I end up reading something for an hour going back to sleep. I am not someone who can sleep through the night. And that night I slept through the night. Wow. And then you text me. Well, we, obviously I contacted you, but then you texted me saying that there was a shooting outside of the studio. That's true. That's true. And I had, I happened to be texting with somebody else who was like, Oh, well, it's probably, you know, you probably avoided an accident, you know? So I'm we're like, getting oh, shot. we're getting shot. Um, although I would have been in the building right, you by that been point. Because yeah. it was at 4.15 and you were, you but were... I would have been very concerned about my car because my car <laughs> is parked where exactly. the shooting took place. So, you know, the, the all sorts of people had theories about what became of you last week. It was the day after St. Patrick's Day. So more than one listener reached out to me and said, you know, you know what happened. She went out partying for St. Patrick's Day. She tipped back a few too many and she <laughs> couldn't wake up in time. Any truth to that? None. I actually at that point hadn't had a drop of alcohol for like an entire seven day stretch. Actually, last night was the first time I actually had any alcohol for probably like a 12 day stretch. Not for any good reason, just I hadn't been socializing and doing anything. And so I did not, I, I watched a movie with my kids and then I, they took their baths. I took a shower, got everything ready, set my alarm. And then that was the end of it. What movie was it? Uh, Turning Red. Oh, Turning Red. Yeah. Turning Red, which, it's so funny that that's even even remotely controversial. Like, I, which one is that? I heard about that. So it's it's a it's a it's an animation with 
girls that are supposed to be 13 years old. Uh-huh. And it's, it's supposed to take place in 2003. And the main character is like a Chinese descent of Chinese descent. Her parents are very traditional and they're grow and she's growing up in a suburb of Toronto. And it's, it's really, it's a little bit of a coming of age, but it's really just a cute animated film. Uh-huh. But you know, people are saying there's undertones that the, the, the bear, the red bear that she turns into when she gets angry is, um, you know, a parallel to a girl getting her period. And like, and then it's all about my body, my choice. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I'm sure someone can analyze it that way, but it is just a really cute movie about really? a, a four girls. And, you know, gaining their independence as 13 year olds. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, Debbie Schlossel on reviewing movies, and she's basically a conservative pundit that acts as a film critic. So she always sees these secret liberal subplots in films. And she actually said of that film, if I remember correctly, that she liked it. She even she who finds secret subtext into everything. Right. Even she said she liked that. So I'll put it on my list. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a kid's movie, but I, yeah. I just think that um, people just take it too far. And I actually asked another woman who I know um, who does ha- is a mom of a, an only child and is very much like the mother in this film. And I asked her if she saw it and she told me they had to stop halfway through because her husband didn't like all the talk about boys. You're kidding. I'm like, is this happening? One woman said, I'm not interested. I don't like the undertones. And this one saying we'd stop halfway through because the husband was objecting to the kids talking about. But I'm like, that's what 13 year old girls do. Exactly. Though. Maybe I'm, I'm trying to remember. We'll have to go back and research it. Maybe Debbie didn't like it. I, I have to go back. But um, but you liked it as far as a kid's movie. I mean, as, it, it, as far as watching a movie with my kids, it was fine. The yeah. girls liked it. I didn't take offense to anything. But then again. I am not the mainstream anymore. I thought I was. You would for a while. You had a good run. You had I, a few decades I did. where you were the mainstream. Now you are squarely outside of the mainstream. <laughs> oh, I am definitely an outlier. Uh, you, um, you have been very vocal in terms of taking uh, health officials to task, government officials, the governor of New Jersey, governor of New York, uh, a lot of people, different presidents to task for a lot of these COVID restrictions and vaccine mandates. Well, those of us that are Met fans got a big break this week because now all of our players, when we're poised to have a very good year, uh, all of our players can now play baseball irrespective of their vaccination status. I know the Brooklyn Net fans are ecstatic. Uh, Eric Adams commented on this a day or two ago in sort of the dichotomy of why the players can play but if you're basically the hot dog vendor in City Field or at Yankee Stadium, you still can't come to work. Here was Mayor Adams. Day one, when I was mayor, I looked at the rule that stated hometown players had an unfair disadvantage for those who were coming to visit. And immediately I felt we needed to look at that. But my medical professionals say, Eric, we're at a different place. Um, well, now the now home players and away players can play whether they're vaccinated or not. But everyone else that lost their job because they weren't vaccinated, the cops, the teachers, the firefighters and uh, the people that want to be unvaccinated and work in these stadiums, they still don't get their job. It's ludicrous. I mean, come on, it's ludicrous. It's it's it, it, it's it's they they keep doing this thing where it's these people can do this, but these people can't. And it, none of it makes any sense. Mm. So it, 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 
so when they lifted the mask mandate in New York, um, I was like, oh, great. Now I can take my kids to Broadway right. for shows that they, they couldn't see before, blah, blah, blah. But then Broadway extended the vaccine mandate and the mask mandate. So I couldn't take them. when is that extended to at this point? By the I way? think it's like April 18th or something. Oh, I don't know. Geez. Unless or maybe that's the mess for planes. I, I'm getting all of the extensions right, right, confused. But either way, the, it's still in place. Um, and if you didn't know, you'll see many people on social media holding up their playbills with their full masks in the that's theater. So, well, see, I got my wife tickets because her birthday Sunday. I got her tickets and my sister who just had a birthday recently to a show on April 16th. I'm wondering if we're going to have to be masked for that. Uh, I, you might be. Okay. So and you know, there happens to be a play at my kid's school tonight. OK. And I'm taking them. And uh, my older daughter rebel who's eight years old said to me are we going to the play and i'm thinking she's talking about this play and i said yes and she goes do we have to be vaccinated i looked at her and i'm like why would we have to be vaccinated she's like uh i don't know um i thought that we had to be i'm like that's for broadway and she thought when she when she said play she really meant musical and she was talking about hamilton oh and i said oh no 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 we're going to see your school play no we don't you know and she said, and I'm not going to say the kid's name, so-and-so said, you know, and this is another eight-year-old, so-and-so said, um, uh, it would just be easier if you would just get vaccinated. Now, <laughs> wait, wait, this eight-year-old told your daughter that it would be easier if you, if, she, would- if, if, if Rebel could just get vaccinated. Okay. And then she goes, and mommy, she's double vaccinated. My eight-year-old saying this, this is like, this is the, this is the tangent I'm going off on because this is how gross this has become at this uh-huh. point. Um, and she goes, and so why are you so against it? I said, because I'm not putting in, an, I'm not putting new chemicals in your body that we don't know the long-term effects of. And chances are, if you get the disease, your chances of getting, of surviving it are pretty good. Correct. Since both of us have had COVID and lived with our children the entire time. You and, and your husband. Yes. <laughs> and did not quarantine away from our young children. Anyway, so regardless of all that, and then. I said, um, then, then she said, you know, same kid, she eats paper. <laughs> I'm like, so the kid that eats paper is telling you that you should get vaccinated. So I said, um, she does. And yeah, I'm like, did she do it once? And no, she does it all the time. She says she really likes eating paper. Wow. I said, well, just so you know, for future, don't take medical advice from anybody who eats paper. That's good advice. Uh, that's uh, People listening at home should keep that in mind. Although they do say paper has a lot of fiber, um, <laughs> you don't. It's not something that you want to make a regular part of your diet. Also on the COVID front, and I want to delve into a bunch of other areas, but uh, the CEO of the nation, the CEOs, plural, of the nation's largest airlines are asking mm. the Biden administration to drop the federal mask mandate on airplanes. I don't think I need to guess uh, what your view is on this request from the pilots I, here. I was actually because, you know, spring break is that week um, that they they extended it till the 18th. And that's the week of our spring break, at least. Um, and I we are going to Florida and. <laughs> We're flying on the 17th. Mm. We were originally flying on the 18th. Um, and I thought that we were going to actually, I thought we were going to miss it because of the original date was in March. The except the, um, expiration was in March and then they extended it one month. So I hope that they do lift it. Um, because it's just too much confusion for my kids. It's also just extremely annoying and completely unnecessary. Why is it that? 
you know, I can sit in the airport restaurant and eat and do whatever I want to, you know, whatever, anywhere, and then go onto the airplane and put a mask on. Like, what is the point? And if anybody was really that scared, they wouldn't be on the airplane. They're not going to be in a tight capsule with a bunch of strangers if they're that scared. They are forcing people to do something that they have no interest in doing, mostly. As of now, your children are going to school unmasked. Unmasked. That's big Completely, yes. How much of a hindrance was that to them, having to wear these masks and interact with people with these masks? You know, it's crazy. I, I don't... I think that um, my little one, my five-year-old, um, had an easier—I would say—an easier time following the rules because she, that's all she's known. Right. Gotcha. But at the same time, I'm noticing that she's not as irritable when she comes out of school. It's like she could see her teacher's face, and she can, you know. But the weird thing is, is that the older kids were always had the masks on their chins because it's been—it's. It, it was nonsense. Even the principal was walking around like that. Um, I would I refuse to even walk in there with a mask on my person. How likely do you think that it is now we're seeing more lockdowns in China um, because of some new variant over there? How likely do you think it is that we'll see a clawback of some restrictions? You were the, oh, the one kind of warning about that, you know. Three months ago, well, yeah, it I've looked like say- freedom was on the horizon. You were saying, don't get don't get too excited. I'm, and I'm still saying it because of what's going on in the big cities. And I think that's the North Star of all of this. Mm. I, I don't I locally. Yeah, we, we have had way more reprieve than anybody in New York and L.A. and everything. But if you look at I just read a news story this week in San Francisco Bay Area that, that teachers are encouraging our, you know, kids to wear masks um, by pushing like they're incentivizing with candy and donuts so so they'll keep the masks on it's like that is insane um and then all this stuff with adams is not encouraging it's like this is a slow drip of like how much longer are these people going to be able to deal with this with adams i kind of think he doesn't even want to keep these restrictions in place but he doesn't want to be looking like he's reacting to somebody telling him. I mean, everything everything I hear from him... Why it, wouldn't he want to be the pioneer yeah. of moving forward? Right. I mean, well, that doesn't make any sense. I, I don't understand it at, at all. At, it, it's at politics, all. and it's not about public health, and that's what drives me up a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, but what really drove me up a wall was the news from last week where Fauci comes out and starts talking about lockdowns to some extent saying, oh, we we you know, we might have to roll back all this freedom. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, and go back to having restrictions because of this, you know, this sub variant of Omicron that is um, currently surging in the UK and Europe or something. And it's like, oh, we're going to see these surges here. Two days later, he's like, I don't think we're going to see a surge here. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding? What was that about? That's weird. How do you how are you so sure that right. it's 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 inevitable that there's going to be a surge and an uptick in something that isn't even actually going to do any harm. It's just going to make people have colds, which was widely publicized. Um, so why would we need a quote lockdown and a this and a that? Like, why are you fear mongering on CNN? And then you go talk to George Stephanopoulos two days later and go, nah, that's not going to happen. Tell me. Yeah, you got me. Okay, so you got me. So I have it's no like answer. The mixed that. messaging, the it, at this point, you know, two years after the fact, stop, let it go, move on. 
Um, uh, also, by the way, in New York City, Eric Adams, while he's making things a lot better for millionaire athletes, <laughs> five-year-olds and below are still expected to wear these masks. They are, although I think he just lifted that, too. Oh, okay. I think, I think the preschoolers are now unmuzzled. Wonderful. Well, that's exciting. So we're, we're getting we're progress. That's oh, progress. you're, you're in, like inchworming along. We are indeed. Hey, um, in terms of medicine and health care... One of the things that I've seen uh, with a lot of different people is the financial toll mm. that medical debt can take on them. They say a lot of bankruptcies in this country, if not most, are due to medical debt, either their own or or family members. Now, Bernie, Bernie Sanders is calling for the cancellation of all medical debt. <laughs> it's uh, a cancel culture you can get behind. Exactly. However... What is the plan? And this is just like the the thing with the tuition. It's like mm. free, you know, free education, and but on the backs of tax, you know, taxpayers. And then it's I still I can't even pretend to understand the complicated world of healthcare and why we cannot have a national healthcare plan. I don't really understand it at all. Um, in term, except for for in terms in terms of taxes, but. So I get it. Thanks, Bernie Sanders. But he's not wrong. It's obnoxious what's going on right now. I have, full, you know, I have health care, obviously. Um, we have insurance. And Harley, last year, my little one, um, got stitches in her head, like four or five stitches. For, uh, and she went to the ER. And then they called a plastic surgeon to come to do the stitches because that's what you want when it's on the face. Just FYI gotcha. for the future. Good. <laughs> and... He does, he stitches her up. We leave and I pay $300 at in the ER. They bill my insurance, not the hospital so much, but the plastic surgeon's office. And apparently my insurance paid $475 towards this. And they send me a bill, the plastic surgeon's office for $22,000. Wow. That was the remaining amount. Why? Do you know, and I know, well, you may not know, but I know for sure, because I have two friends who have done it, you can get a tummy tuck for $20,000. Wow. Why did five stitches cost? So I'm befuddled on both sides. Oh, same. I, and now, now I'm playing nicely with the plastic surgeon's office because I don't want them to, you know. Right. Give your daughter a tummy tuck instead of finishing the job on those stitches. <laughs> Um, I w actually would like to use, um, when, when, when we, I finally get the insurance to pay them, I would like to use the credit <laughs> to then give myself one. No, but seriously, I, I was played nice with them. I did what they told me to do, told them to, the, the insurance company to reprocess the claim and then get that number and then give it to them. And they're supposed to talk. And then four months later, I get a call saying they paid nothing more. They didn't call to negotiate. And um, we have like a third party arbitrator that can handle this. If you just sign these papers and then we will appeal in your in your um, the insurance in, company is going to appeal on your behalf, uh, not the insurance company, oh, the, the the plastic surgeon oh, okay. office has this third party who will appeal on my behalf. I'm like, OK, well, they're the ones charging the twenty two thousand dollars. Right. And they want and they're trying to get it from the insurance company. Right. And they're like, well, yeah, you called. But now we're going to like attack them. And then it's like, I'm not sure I'm going to go this route. So I'm not signing anything. So then I went and called the insurance company again. And I said, you know, I, I, I told them the situation. And now it's still like a question mark as to what's going to happen. But I did call the pleasant surgeon's office. And I said, I do have a question, though. 
Why is it 20? Well, the full bill was 23,500. And what did they say? Well, um, we charge what we are able to charge based on um, the parameters of what we're given. So basically, they look up a bunch of codes and go, what can we charge for this? What can we charge for that? Yeah. And they they take the highest amount. They're not telling me this, but yes, they take the highest amount and they slap it all together in a bill. And then they want the insurance company to come back and negotiate it to a point oh, where no they accept it. And, and you know, th- that's one of the problems, one of the many problems with the current health care system. My dad was uh, a health insurance executive for 30 years, and he used to tell me frequently that if you had 100 people in the hospital for the same exact procedure, same length of time that they were there, it wouldn't be unusual for them to have uh, have paid 100 different amounts for that same degree of medical care. And always the one thing you can count on is the person that would have paid the most is the person that doesn't have any health insurance. And there's something really wrong when yeah. that's the when that's the case. So you're not necessarily on board with uh, where Bernie Sanders is coming from, but you understand. I just don't know what the plan is. Like, he calls for these things, and right. people cheer for him because you know right now he's saying this is a win because the any medical debt now is going to not go on someone's um, credit report for uh, like a year or something. And it, it delays... Um, it landing on your credit report and he's saying it's a good a step in the right direction, but we need to go further and abolish all the medical debt. And then he goes into obviously universal health care that every right. other country has. But I'm not totally understanding about how that plan will be in place, because if it was a good plan, like, why don't we have it? Because of capitalism. Well, I, yes, because yeah, of capitalism. I, I think and I that's, get that. that's I mean, a lengthier discussion. I but I think the fact that there's so many people that make money in a private sector health mm. insurance plan. And, uh, you know, you, and then don't pay. Right. Well, that's the thing. You're paying every month and then they're like, OK, here's four hundred dollars towards this humongous bill. And here's your deductible. You also hear, uh, you know, a lot of horror stories from countries that have single payer for someone that has to wait two years for an operation and things like that. I mean, it, it becomes, you know, um, it, look, there are horror stories on, on both sides uh, in single payer countries and non single payer countries. We're going to continue with Marlena Shivo for the hour. When we come back, your coffee order may determine whether you're selfish or fun. And a woman was awfully sick, so sick. She lost 20 years worth of memories. We'll tell you about that and a whole bunch more. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Moreno, 77 WABC. This is the other side of midnight. That is Frankie Valley singing Marlena. By the way, Frankie Valley never kept up his word to come on this show. I'm still uh, that reminds me. Going to reach out to him again next week. Um, but uh, we're, we're, we are determined to get him, so uh, we'll, we'll keep working on that. Um, yeah, you, are you a fan of that song? Fan. I was named after that song. Oh, is that true? And yeah, I was named after that song. And it, the funny story is, it was one of my first jokes I ever told in stand up is that I went to see Jersey Boys with a friend of mine, and 
her sister was there and she was like, oh, you know, asking me if I liked Frankie Valley Four Seasons. I said, I grew up listening to them. Um, I was actually named after one of their songs. And I, she looked at me and said, really, which one? And <laughs> you should I have said, said Sherry. No, I said, walk like a man. <laughs> but people call me Marlena for short. <laughs> Are you still friends with that person? No. <laughs> Any relation between her and the girl that eats the paper? <laughs> Um, uh, you know what? They're at, un, unclear. There should be some lineage there. That's very funny. All right. Uh, this is an interesting story in the, the Mirror, which is a UK publication. Apparently, your coffee order may determine whether you're selfish or fun. What yeah. are the selfish orders? What are the fun orders? Okay. So the selfish order comes down to um, someone who orders black coffee, I guess, because... They are so determined, and I'm on the wrong screen. Um, I'm the black coffee orderer. Every single time? Every never, single time. You never change it? Oh, my God. Then you are a very selfish I, human being, according am, to this I article. My wife reminds me that I'm selfish uh, all the time. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense, actually. But, um, yeah, so if you order black coffee, um, it says that – oh, jeez. Internet. Okay, so it says that um, you are what – it means that you're very determined, you're very focused, you're all of these things. But it also means you could be very focused on yourself and have a very selfish mentality. Uh, but it also uh, indicates that you could be very self-sufficient and empowered. Um, so there's that. What, that. what are they basing that on, though? Um, a bunch of nonsense, I'm okay. sure. I don't no. know. Um, you know, there's always experts that contribute to these articles. What's your coffee order? I am all over the map. So I like a latte and I like a cappuccino and I like espresso, espresso and So what are those three? And what is the fact that you That makes me like I guess a schizo because I guess I what go ahead. No 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 well is that common do most people mix it up like that? Um I'm not most people, but I know that I mix it up like that. Not at home, but if I'm out, I'll be like, yeah, I'll have a lot. Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll go for a cappuccino and espresso. Forget it. I'll always drop a, a espresso in my when I go to a coffee place. But yeah, so the espresso is a no-nonsense, straight-talking person. Ah, and that's the, you. That's <laughs> me. The cappuccino is um, a fun person. That's, also you. That's me. And uh, the latte um is uh, someone who just kind of goes with the flow. That's that's so, not you. That's not me. No, no, no. That's you're, more my friend Sarah, and she always you, orders a latte. You, so. You've got to stop ordering lattes, pronto. <laughs> it does not match. Yeah, no, no, no. Pl- my please. inner self. No wonder you're getting the wrong order all the time. <laughs> um, hey, this was an interesting story. I had seen this, and it caught my eye because one of my great fears is dementia, and oh, apparently there's a story of this woman who caught a cold, and it had some pretty disastrous implications for her. What happened? So she catches some cold and that her son had, common cold, and as the days go on, she gets more lethargic, more lethargic, and then all of a sudden doesn't wake up. Her husband takes her to the hospital. She remains in a coma for like 16 days. From a cold? From a cold. Oh, it must. There must have been some strange bacterial thing that happened. Um, and they had her on like a ventilator and she said she was like in a, almost like a twilight state where she was like hallucinating. She thought there were like wasps on the ceilings and mm-hmm. flies in her ears or something. Anyway, she wakes up, she recognizes her family. 
uh, members, but cannot recall anniversaries, birthdays, the birth of her children, her marriage, her marriage proposal, and all of these things. And she's um, frustrated by it. But I can imagine. I mean, do you think she's faking? Um, I don't think so. How could this happen? Why would you forget? Why would you voluntarily forget the quote birth of your children? No one forgets. Right. That. That's true. That's true. Um, well, that's sad. I hope she gets over this quickly. Maybe some vitamin C can help her jog her memory. How's mm-hmm. your memory? You want to hear something even crazier? Well, probably not so crazy, but I have a great memory. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> um, today. I was supposed to bring these donuts to this, you know, bake sale. Mind you, spoke about it several times, joked about it with a friend of mine because I think all these things are so hokey. These like fundraisers, whatever. It's always something else. I'm not baking it. I'm going to go to the store, drop this thing off. I'm out. Three hours later, I am operating in, in a normal pace. I go I get a shower later in the day. I go pick up my kids and my little one goes, why are we going to the, you know, the thing? And I'm like, not only did I not purchase the donuts, drop them off, I forgot it even existed. And I just spoke about it three hours earlier. And I said to my friend, uh, happens to be a psychologist and also running this thing. I was like, I, I walked up to her. I went, I forgot all about this. Like, that is so funny. And she, you know, and I gave her 20 bucks. I was like, here, here's for the donations. And like, you know, my kids got some cupcakes. We walked out. We were texting about it later, and she goes, if it keeps happening, you might want to consult a neurologist. <laughs> and I said, I can't tell if you're joking. She's like, no. The psychologist in me is saying that if you're going to forget things on a regular basis, you, you might need to see somebody. The, 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 one of the best books I ever read was a book called Moonwalking with Einstein. And um, it's by a fellow named, I think his name is Joshua Four. And he was the former U.S. world uh, U.S. memory champion. He might have even been the world memory champion at one point, but he was certainly the U.S. memory champion. And he was out uh, celebrating. I think if I this is ten years ago that I read the book, he was out celebrating his win in the U.S. memory championship. And uh, you know he's with friends at a bar and this and that. You know he uh, drives to the bar. You know they're hanging out. They go you know have something to eat. And then everybody goes home. So Josh Four forgets um, that he had driven and takes the train home. He didn't just forget where he parked. He forgot that he had driven there and ends up taking the train wow. home. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's certainly if the world memory champion or the U.S. memory champion <laughs> yeah. can forget once in a while, I think we're entitled. Well, we have I have another story adjacent to that. Oh, boy. OK, so. So I sent you the screen grab because I found our initial email when we first started doing yeah, radio. This makes me nervous, good keeper. <laughs> you, you're definitely when it, whenever a grand jury calls to investigate me, I know you know you can count yourself as practically being subpoenaed. Well, I just happened to I knew it was 2013 that I did remember right. because I had just had my first ah, yes, daughter, yes, yes, yes. and you had reached out to me and to co-host with Curtis, who was doing what was it, Curtis and the Gov at the time. Yes. Um, I believe so. Yeah, uh, and you were the producer, right. and you asked if I could co-host because Patterson, David Patterson. That's out. right. Okay. He's now married to his ex-wife. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, right. Okay, moving on. So, 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 okay. So, Curtis and I sit together for two hours. We do this show. Yada yada yada. Nine years ago. Nine years ago, and obviously, over the past nine years, I have seen Curtis at various times. Right, and you I, guys were both at my wedding, for instance. There was that. There's here. Right. There's. I, we've been on a show. We were just on the show a few weeks ago. What a month ago together, 
ever. And then how about the time you and I were having a drink right, up the street, him, yeah. and he's walking down the street, he sits <laughs> down, and I'm sitting next to him, and I'm like, am I the kid in the sixth sense? Like, it's like I'm not there. I can't figure out if he can't remember me, doesn't remember me, pretends not to know me. I, for, it's a mystery. I can assure you he's not pretending. <laughs> He is. He, um, he's worked with people in some cases for years and not remembered their name. It was, uh. He remembers you, what, Giuliani. He's got his buddy Wiener. I think the list ends there. (laughs) He remembers his wife. One time he did refer to his son, Anthony, on the radio as Andrew. Um, that, which, which was interesting. But, um, he, uh, he has an interesting issue with memory. You know what it is? I honestly think Curtis is like me. He's got a lot going on in that brain. He's also been hit in the head. I'm not even joking. Many times over the years. But my wife has to constantly remind me where the lights are that control what, you know, if she says turn the lights on the kitchen, I'll start flicking around for light switches that I think look like they control the lights in the kitchen. And they're inevitably the wrong lights. And she says, We've lived here for a year and a half. How do you still not know where the lights are? But well, I the, genuinely don't. Because you have a ghost. I get, that's true. And they're apparently, apparently moving. As a light. <laughs> yes. Around. But, um, but come on. Fine. You don't remember my name? Great. No problem. My face? I, I mean, think he does remember your face, probably. He does, but he's never, there's no, there's no actual recognition in his face when I see that's him. True. That's he's true. He's just blankly looking at me like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Anyway. You know, it's funny. We had an intern one time. This is about 17 years ago. Um, and she was asking for instructions on going through Curtis's email. Because back then, Curtis didn't email. So the, he'd have to have an intern answer all his correspondence. And I would say, all right, you know, you got to separate them into these piles. And she said to me, you know, there's um, a lot of e- emails here from people that, you know, that sound like they know Curtis. And then she says, there's a lot of emails here from people that are, you know, that that act like they know Curtis, but I can't tell if they really do. And uh, I said, no, put all those together because Curtis doesn't know the people that he knows any better than the people that think that they know him. Right. And I said, put them all together. And uh, our int- that intern, by the way, is now a member of the state Senate and running for Congress, by the way, Alessandra Biagi in, okay. uh, in Westchester. So, yeah, I've been fascinated by Curtis's memory for years because – he also will at sometimes remember the most minute detail mm-hmm. of the of the of the 1977 World Series, you know, uh, and uh, he just has such a head for minutia, but manages to forget so much. It's really quite astounding. Quite uh, that, astounding. That's a word for it. That's a word for it. Yeah. It's it is. Uh, well, it's an incentive, I guess, to to use a lot of hand sanitizer and keep washing your hands. You don't want one of these memory erasing colds. Nobody does. <laughs> um, tell me about before we get to Judge Jackson, uh, which is what everybody wants to hear about. Tell me about uh, this. The, the latest with uh, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West and TikTok. They're in the midst of a big argument over whether or not their daughter should be able to use TikTok, right? Well, yes. And this and then and it sort of spiraled into a, more of a debate about, you know, when is an appropriate age for your child to have a social media account? Um, and their daughter happens to be eight years old and my older daughter happens to be eight years old. And in in the in the regular world, I would say absolutely not. Like I will not have my daughter. I will exploit her on my social media right. any day of exactly. the week. But That's I what parents control, are for. <laughs> I control it. 
She doesn't know how to get into it and it's fine. But, um, you know, giving them their own accounts is absolutely absurd. So you, you're team Kanye on this. Oh, don't call me that. But you are. Uh, but on this, I said in the real world, they live in a bubble. Mm hmm. I, I don't understand their world, to be honest. Um, and I, yeah, but yes, but in this case, yes, I don't think an eight year old should have 15 million followers or whatever it was that she, or he has 15 million, I guess. I don't know, but she has millions of followers. And I just think that that's terrible. I mean, Kim Kardashian got robbed. Remember, like when yeah. she was where, where in was France, she was, I think. In France, was it France? I think so. Yeah, Maybe she was in was Paris. Paris right. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, she was so shook that she, you know, said, I'm not going to flaunt X, Y, and Z on social media anymore. This was an eye opening experience. We'll talk about memory loss because (laughs) she clearly doesn't remember what she said. Because honestly, I don't care that your, you know, X, you know, $300,000 ring got stolen. Like the most valuable thing to any parent is their, is their children. Right. So you you shouldn't actually, she shouldn't be doing this, but... What age do you think is appropriate? I, I honestly think it depends on the kid, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, I I look at Rebel, and I'm like, oh my God, like, I'm, like, not even letting you cross the street till you're 14 at this mm-hmm. point. Like, she's not showing me that she has, like, the wherewithal to, like, you know, she's just, I mean, she's awesome, but she's just, her. she's like a dreamer, you know, where my little one is so aware of everything all the time. You know, she... She's she she'll be crossing the street this summer by by herself. I won't let her, but she could. Um, so it really depends. Um, she wants a phone. Um, my my older one not happening. I'm like, no way, absolutely not. Like, no way, not happening until I can really feel like she's responsible to a like use it appropriately and b not leave it somewhere like she does everything else. Right. You know, yeah. including yeah. her homework, yeah. <laughs> stays and- at school. Uh, maybe see, maybe it's hereditary. Look what happened with the donuts. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to comment on anything we're covering, uh, Marlena Shivo is my guest for the hour. When we come back, we're going to talk about the confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee uh, Katanji Brown Jackson. We'll get into that, including why some women's groups are a little upset over some of the remarks that she's made this week. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Frank Morano, joined for the hour by Marlena Schiavo, longtime friend of mine. She's also a veteran media producer, a social critic, a comedian, and a very proud mother of two young women. And uh, the subject of gender came up in a big way at the Supreme Court hearing of Judge Jackson. Uh, she's been nominated by President Biden to fill, fill Justice Breyer's seat. And uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee had some questions for Judge Jackson about the definition of a certain word. 
Can you provide a definition for the word woman? Can I provide a definition? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I can't. You can't? N- not in okay. this context. So I'm not a biologist. Of- uh, your reaction, Marlena, to uh, Senator Blackburn's question and Judge Jackson's response. The response that she gave was obviously very, very measured and way too politically correct. OK, so if and I also think that Marsha Blackburn did not ask the question that she was really getting at. Right. So when you actually look up the definition of a woman, it will say adult female human being. And there's nothing wrong with saying adult female human being what blackburn was really getting at was to find a female right and that that's where it gets tricky and complicated um but so there, then there was another uh article that came out later in usa today saying that scientists and experts are absolutely commending uh jackson for the way she answered the question because Quote, um, they agree there's no sufficient way to clearly define what makes someone a woman with billions of women on the planet. There is much variation. And it's like there aren't species of women, you know, that that doesn't even make any sense to me. Like, I feel like we're getting into a very, very tricky place in our society where a grown woman who is being about to be confirmed on the Supreme Court of the United States is scared to define the exact thing that she is, which is a woman. I think that's insane. Um, if she had answered the question with the definition of a woman, an adult female, <laughs> you know, human being, perhaps Blackburn would have followed up and said, we'll define female, at which point I could see her sort of saying, well, there's, she could answer it though. She could say, well, people are born biological females. And then there are other people who aren't born biological females who identify as females is that that actually fits into everything that's being said today right no one could even there's no there's no loophole there so i don't understand why she actually looks worse the way she did it she's a very smart woman i'm sure she's perfectly qualified but this is all about how she's going to obviously rule on certain things and they're trying to get to the bottom of it and to dance around a question like that which is really pretty straightforward and doesn't need to be politicized i just feel like it is the message is so overly politically correct that we are in dangerous territory now Uh, there are some women's groups that aren't happy with this right i mean there are some people that are saying that uh she didn't answer the question appropriately and keeping in mind what those scientists said there's some people that feel differently of course, and because they're, they're saying it threatens the women's rights movement. I mean, if you can't define a woman, then how are you going to? De- de- how, right. If you can't define it, how can you defend it? Right. Uh, Pre- President Biden, when he was in the Senate, was always very proud of his authorship of the Violence Against Women Act, for right. instance. Right. You know, it's not the Violence Against You Know uh, Persons Act. Exactly. Um, and I don't know why it is so wrong. To identify as the person that you were born as, right? Like that's almost the messaging. I know it's not supposed to be, but that's sort of what it's coming across as. It's like, let's just keep it all very general. But if you can't keep things general, if you have to make laws and then have those laws be applied to, uh, you know, cases when they get into court, right? So it's like you have to define things in order to define things. Right. Right. To keep our society moving. But 
Here we are. Here we are indeed. 800-848-WABC. If you want to comment, that's 800-848-9222. Well, this is actually a rare treat. Uh, We actually have, from what I understand, uh, Katanji Brown-Jackson calling in, and we're actually going to ask her a couple of follow-up questions on this front. Marlena, why don't you get started? Um, I will gladly get started. Okay, my first question that they didn't seem to cover in the hearings was... um, if uh, she could, uh, can you provide the definition of a spoon? Can I provide a definition? No, I can't. You can't? Not in this context. No, I'm not a kitchen engineer. All right, we'll move on. How about, can you provide the definition of a picture frame? Not at this time, no. You can't give me the definition of a picture frame whatsoever? Why not? I don't work for Pottery Barn or in any capacity adjacent to the retail industry, so I can't say for certain what the true definition of a picture frame is. Uh, Okay, we'll table that one. Can you define the word male? Male, as in a category of gender, or male in the context of the U.S. Postal Service? Gender. No, I can't. Okay, fine. How about the definition of mail, the kind that gets delivered to your house? (laughs) The U.S. Postal Service provides a diversity of options as to what they can bring to your home, but respectfully, without context to the specific mail you're addressing, no pun intended, I can't really go into detail on that. Oh, we... The call dropped, Frank. Darn. Uh, well, I mean, at least she's consistent, yes, right? At least she. she's not uh, picking and choosing what, what she can define definitions of. Right. 800-848-9222 if you think you can do better. 800-848-WABC. Mark is in New Haven. Hello, Mark. Good morning, Frank. How's Rocco and the baby? Everybody good? Everyone's great. Thank you. So, so I have a quick, quick response to this. We are humans which are defined and different from birds and lizards and other kinds of creatures, insects. And we have certain defining characteristics, live birth, things like that. So it seems to me that science says that there are only two genders and the rest are merely preferences. Um, We are biologically mammals. I don't understand. All right. Well, are you any reaction to that? Well, I mean, he's he's saying it in a different way, and he's not wrong. It you know, for years, science has defined um, the two the the way things are, but now we can't actually rely on science unless you know we need to use it for political purposes. But let's not get into science mm-hmm, mm-hmm. too much. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. Hey, uh, before we run out of time, I want to ask you about uh, this story, uh, which has. Something to do with with gender. Uh, A fella had some bad luck in Costa Rica. What happened here? So the headline's actually pretty misleading. It says businessman stuck in Costa Rica after flesh eating bug infected his genitals. So that when I first read it, I'm thinking, oh, God, like what kind of bug is this? Thinking it's an insect, but it is not an insect. It was actually uh, a bacterial infection Mm. that. 
um, is apparently very painful and is attacking attacking his um, unmentionables. And he is still there. He has to go to the hospital every three days for treatment. I do not know what the treatment is. I don't want mm. to know what the treatment is. But it is all um, it is all targeted at that one part of his body. Oh, uh, my goodness. That sounds just awful. It sounds like. Yeah. 848-WABC. Will's in Farmingdale. Hello, Will. Hi. Um, you know, this is basically why since the beginning of this, words have meaning, okay? And when you're talking about legislating, we legislate and we make laws based on facts, not feelings, not on uh, your imagination. And that's why the definition of a male and a female is important. She said, I'm not a biologist. I don't know. But you are a judge. Okay, and you and your your judging will be called into question. That's the reason for your job. You know, another thing when we ask them, "What's your feeling on the Second Amendment?" I don't know why we ask them these things. Okay, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the Constitution does not need to be interpreted by you. What needs to be interpreted are the laws that are being passed and the cases that are in front of you to see if they are in line with our Constitution. Well, that's that's the a separate a that's the, a separate discussion. Will because actually there's nothing in the Constitution that gives the Supreme Court the power to determine what laws are are constitutional or not. But that's a that's a, a right they claim for themselves in Marbury versus. Madison, but that is a that's a, a separate discussion, certainly outside of the scope of the of the of the gender debate. Quick question, Marlene. I want to take advantage of your expertise as a as a wife before I run out of time with you. It's my wife's birthday I don't know on if I'm Sunday. An expert wife, but try me. <laughs> I think you're doing okay. Um, it's my wife's birthday on Sunday. What now? I got her theater tickets to a show on April 16th, mm-hmm. and I think we're supposed to go out tonight for dinner. Are we? Am I obliged to do anything else? What's the game plan? I mean, I'm going to get her a card, but beyond that, am I? Is my part of the bargain done? A hundred percent. It is. Okay. Yeah, good. especially right. now that you have a kid. Exactly. Okay. Good. All right. Because uh, Saturday we're going out to uh, her sister's on Long Island. Sunday, um, I, I think my mom is going to come over on Friday. You know. So I think I, I think the obligation of going to Long Island should get you out of a lot of things for at least the next year. Yeah. Well, I don't mind going. She drives, so I mean, I'm basically just uh, along along. Yeah, but for sitting the ride. in the traffic on the LIE, it can I, be challenging. Challenging. Can be challenging. Oh, it's Infuriating. Yes. Now I'm hoping that uh, Carmine uh, exercises a great deal of restraint and takes pity on us <laughs> for that uh, hour and a half ride out to eastern Suffolk County. Uh, Marlena, if people want to get in touch with you or see more of what you're doing or keep up with you, what's the best way for them to do it? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and it's uh, at Marlena Shibo, also on Twitter. Um, and I'm on Substack right now. And I actually changed my publication name. Oh, you did. I am now Ms. Information. Ms. M. S. M. S. Period. Mi- yes. Information. Yes. Ms. Information. So how do we? How do people find you on Substack? Do they search yes. Ms. Information? You, you, on you, no, you could just put in my name on Substack. How often do up. you send out Substack? Oh no, I not not much. But I'm going to. The problem with Substack for me is the lack of. Um, you know, audio visual stuff that you could do. I love writing, but I, I need yeah. like another element to it. And that's sort of, been I subscribe to a few people on Substack, but I was, re- I was subscribing to Alan Berenson, but I was getting like 
three, four, five emails a day. It was just too much, so I unsubscribed. Right. I like like one a week. That's my ideal amount yeah. of, of postings from Substack. So I'll be sending you five, six, seven. Well, I, I don't mind if they're personalized, <laughs> but if they're just kind of generic pontificating, then that's the that's right. the thing. All right, so find Marlena Shivo on all forms of social media at Marlena Shivo. Uh, coming up in just a minute, we're going to do denunciations. Um, you want to throw in a denunciation for good measure? measure anybody that you don't like? Oh, God, there's how, how can I pick um, <laughs> <laughs> that you haven't already mentioned? Um, uh, let me see. Who don't I like today? Well, I guess Dr. Mm. Fauci's an evergreen for you, right? Yeah, pretty much. Right. That's fine. All right. We're going to do denunciations. We're going to talk with a uh, former British ambassador to Syria, Peter Ford, uh, coming up in about a half hour. And then uh, coming up in 90 minutes, we'll do an Oscar preview with uh, Jason Konigsberg from panandslam.com. Uh, Real quick. Well, I I don't dislike him, but he dislikes me. There's a man named Peter who listens in and he tunes out apparently when I'm on. Ah. So we can denounce him. All right. Well, now that now that you're gone, welcome back, Peter. Peter, come <laughs> on back. It is great seeing you, my friend. Uh, hopefully we can do this again in a week or two. Alrighty. All right. Um, denunciations coming up in one minute. You find me on Twitter as well at Frank Moreno and uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Moreno fan. If you want to make your voice heard about the show, join the Facebook group on Facebook. Just search Moreno radio fans and haters. That's M O R A N O radio fans and haters. Uh, there's a, a vibrant debate going on about a number of subjects on there, and uh, that is the place to go. We suggest that you try and keep it civil, number one, and try and keep it related to the show, number two. Denunciations and uh, Ambassador Peter Ford coming up next hour. In the meantime, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. Make sure you use it. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Tomorrow, everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thanks for tuning in and starting your Friday with me. I am uh, going to be on the Bernie and Sid show once again today, starting at 6 o'clock. It was great fun yesterday with Bernie and Peter King. You know, it's funny. Um, I uh, I was all set to go on the Bernie and Sid show yesterday at 6 a.m. And then Peter King walks in. He got here at 6. And I said, oh, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, Chad, Chad's our president. Chad told me to be here at 6 a.m. And I said, well, you know, and then and then uh, Justin, their producer, who knows I haven't been feeling well, he says, well, if you want to go home, you know, you can go home. But I felt bad because I had promoted that I was going to be on. I said, well, talk to Bernie, whatever he wants. If, um, if he doesn't mind having the two of us on together, maybe we'll do the hour together. And it was fun. It was fun. I thought uh, it's great to be on the radio with Peter King again and certainly with Bernie, who, um, you know, is – just a great guy and a great broadcaster. Meantime, it is that time of the week that so many of you look forward to. we got Ambassador Peter Ford coming up in 25 minutes. I'm looking forward to that, I'll tell you. But um, Ambassador Peter Ford joining me in a half hour. In the meantime, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. I must begin by denouncing the Taliban. The Taliban really ought to be ashamed of themselves. 
Now that they are back in control of Afghanistan, they're certainly acting a lot like the old Taliban, which everybody hated. The Taliban announced that the girls' school that they opened would be closing hours after they reopened for the first time in nearly seven months. Now, this backtracking, this going back on their word by the Taliban, essentially means that female students above the sixth grade will not be able to attend school. A Ministry of Education notice said on Wednesday that school for girls would be closed until a plan was drawn up in accordance with Islamic law and Afghan culture. Uh, you know, there's a wonderful book. It's called Why the Best, Why the West is Best. And if you need any further evidence as to why Western civilization is superior to that of countries that adhere to Sharia law or a strict interpretation of Islam, you need only look at this. And again, I'm sorry if that makes me sound ethnocentric or whatever it makes me sound like. That's the case. Western culture is far superior to these countries where girls past the sixth grade can't get an education. I want to denounce whoever in North Carolina abandoned their dog because they thought it was gay. That's right. In Charlotte, North Carolina, a dog that was reportedly abandoned at a North Carolina shelter because its owners thought it was gay has thankfully been adopted. Stanley County Animal Shelter said it received four or five year old 50 plant, 50 pound black dog from owners who didn't want him anymore. They told the shelter they believed the dog was gay because it humped another male dog. Dog behavior experts had these brain surgeons bothered to consult one. We'll tell you that dogs hump other dogs. They do it as a part of playing and sometimes to reinforce hierarchical stru social structures. It's not an indication of sexual orientation. But when Steve Nichols and his partner John Wynn, who are gay, heard about the story, they knew they had to set up, step up. They've been openly gay for 33 years and they said they have faced the same type of ignorance and bigotry in their lives, and they wanted to open their home to the dog. So that's nice. They've renamed him Oscar after Oscar Wilde. So uh, I'm glad it had a happy ending, but it's amazing to think there are people like that in, in the world. Uh, I want to denounce Mang... Excuse me, Ma Sang Hyuk. Ma Sang Hyuk is a Korean physician who suggested in a Facebook post that those who have yet to contract COVID do not have friends. Now, this guy, who's the president of the Korean Vaccine Society, said, quote, the adults who have not yet been infected with COVID are those who have interpersonal problem problems. This was not a joke. He was very serious about this. Now, after a firestorm erupted, he has deleted these tweets, but that's no, no, not uh, something for anybody to say.
It makes him sound uneducated, and it makes him sound insulting, to be honest. He is insulting. I have to, I hate to do this, but I have to denounce many of my colleagues here at radio, at uh, the radio station at 77 WABC. I do. I see people are getting alarmed, hoping it's not going to be them that's named. Well, I don't know who this is, but I have to denounce the person or persons who ate all the food that our owners, John and Margot Katsimatidis, are kind enough to have catered when we have special events. And we had this big panel on Ukraine today. And lo and behold, the staff ate all the food before all the panelists could get to it. So now, because these people can't eat food responsibly, we've now had to institute a new food protocol here at the radio station that guests get fed and then staff can get fed after. I mean, I guess they weren't content with the 13 containers of butter that are currently in the refrigerator, right? I have to denounce Judge Hiram Puig Lugo. Now, I usually don't like to denounce judges for decisions or lack of decisions because that's why they're judges and I'm not because it's up to them to exercise judgment. But this this action by this particular judge reeks of not my disagreeing with them, which is fine. That happens all the time. But this action by this judge reeks of either incompetence or corruption. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume it's incompetence. Now, the... This is the judge in the Amazon antitrust suit. So Washington, D.C. took Amazon to court on antitrust grounds. And this is something that this is the the D.C. attorney general, Carl Racine, filed a case in district court spelling out exactly how Amazon is a monopoly. Amazon is a monopoly. The only thing that's more of a monopoly than uh, Amazon than Amazon is, you know, the Orange Loop in Atlantic City. This is the definition of a monopoly. If you want to know what a monopoly looks like, it looks exactly, sounds exactly like Amazon. So, for starters, I mean, I'm not going to do. We could do a whole hour on why Amazon is a monopoly, but just. In brief, and Matt Stoller has done some good writing on this, Amazon acquired enough customers for its retail division to monopolize online buying and selling. And it did this by offering free shipping and other benefits at a vastly subsidized rate to Amazon Prime members. Now, for consumers, this seems like a great deal. They got a very good, reliable place to buy stuff online But on the other side of the market for sellers, many of whom sold 80 to 100 percent of their wares on Amazon's marketplace, Amazon acquired substantial market power. The sellers had nowhere else to go. And Amazon knows it. That's what a monopoly looks like. Second, Amazon forced these sellers 
that are now captive to doing whatever Amazon wants to pay massive fees to sell on their marketplace by making them use their fulfillment and warehousing and a whole bunch of other services. Amazon took those fees, which brought in $121 billion last year to pay for its various prime benefits, including shipping. And third, and this is where Amazon's scheme really becomes brilliant, Amazon then forced those same sellers to keep their prices high through non-Amazon channels. If they ever sold elsewhere for less, they would be de facto kicked off Amazon. So understand what they did here. I mean, it's it's a brilliant scheme, but this is price fixing. They're controlling the price not only on their store or on their marketplace. They're controlling it in all the stores. If that's not a monopoly, I don't know what is. So this was going to be a great case. And you might think I'm denouncing the judge because the judge didn't agree with me. No. So earlier this week, at what looked like a routine scheduling hearing, this particular judge, Hiram Puig Lugo whose expertise is in family law, nothing against that, but he has no idea what he's talking about when it comes to antitrust law. He shocked everyone. This was supposed to be a scheduling hearing. He shocked everyone by dismissing the D.C. Attorney General's claim outright. That means the case is over. He's not even going to hear the facts of the case. He's dismissing the case entirely. He's not going to give the D.C. Attorney General a chance to put on his case and Amazon a chance to put on his case and let the facts speak for themselves and then make a determination. No, he's dismissing the case outright. But here's what's even more outrageous. And this is where I suspect something is up here. And again, I hope it's only incompetence, because if we find out five years from now that this guy becomes the senior general counsel over at Amazon, then somebody ought to be arrested for this. Because this judge, this is an odd choice to dismiss the case to begin with. But for important complaints like this, do you know what judges almost always do? They write down why they're dismissing it. And they publish their decision in something called a decision. But this judge didn't even write anything down. He wrote nothing offering any rationale to why he was dismissing a case which I, as a non-attorney, much to my mother's chagrin, can tell has some merit to it. He just simply read from the bench that he didn't think the claimed conduct violated the law. And the deeper you go, the odder this decision According to Law 360, which is a legal publication, the judge said in his ruling that maybe it was just a coincidence that merchants were raising prices on other channels. What? It's just a coincidence that these merchants who say they're being controlled by Amazon are raising their prices on non-Amazon channels? Just a coincidence? He said, quote, They could be engaged in lawful, unchoreographed, and free market behavior. Yeah, they could, but we'll never know it 
Judge Pugue Lugo, because you're not allowing the case to go to trial. This kind of a statement makes no sense because there were explicit contracts between Amazon and sellers mandating higher prices. And yet the judge simply said when making his ruling from the bench, that's how the market works. That's a quote. That's from the judge. That's how the market works. No, it's not how the market works. That's how Amazon structures their contracts with these sellers. I'm dumbfounded. I'm also dumbfounded that in spite of the fact that there are whatever, 900 million Amazon users in this country, at least that's what it seems like, that nobody seems to care. I didn't see this hardly anywhere, this story. To me, this judge's decision ought to be front page news. I'd certainly rather hear about that than polling in a presidential race that's not taking place for two and a half years. (sighs) I want to denounce Rhode Island, the whole state. Tiny as it is, it is the worst state in the entire country for doctors. This is uh, from a new study from WalletHub. They reviewed 19 metrics. Um, The best possible total rating was 100. Among the yardsticks that they considered was the level of competition by state. Competition uh, took into account both the number of doctors and data on hospitals, Another measure was medical environment, which included the quality of state healthcare systems and malpractice and uh, a bunch of other things. And by far, the worst state for doctors was Rhode Island. So if you're a doctor, stay out of Rhode Island. You probably already know that if you're a doctor. And uh, the best state, if you're curious, South Dakota. South Dakota. So keep going, South Dakota. Have at it. Uh, I want to denounce the nightlight. Oh, yeah. This is some shocking new research. Researchers recently investigated the health effects of light exposure during sleep. Listen to what I'm about to say, because this is pretty shocking. Especially some of you that might be listening to me because you can't sleep right now. They found that light exposure during even one night of sleep, increases heart rate while sleeping and impairs glucose metabolism the following morning. They say that sleeping without exposure to light is beneficial for cardiometabolic health. So exposure to artificial light at night, lamps, even a nightlight, is widespread and it is linked to all sorts of negative effects. So now these researchers from Northwestern University in Chicago, they've actually investigated the biological effects of different light exposure levels while sleeping. And they found that exposure to moderate ambient light during one night of sleep can impair glucose and cardiovascular uh, cardiovascular regulation and increase risk factors for heart disease, diabetes, and metabolic syndrome. This is very frightening. So if you're trying to sleep right now, And you don't want diabetes? Turn off the light. Um, I want to denounce the Baltimore state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby. I'm sure you've heard about uh, Marilyn Mosby before. She's had some high-profile cases. I don't think 
one has been more high profile than the um, than the case of uh, Freddie Gray. But she's had a number of other high profile cases that have gotten her national attention. This is really just remarkable. Marilyn Mosby. Have you heard about this? So Marilyn Mosby. Uh, this was the story that was originally reported in the Baltimore Brew. Campaign finance records show that Mosby received a $500 donation last year from her grandfather, Prescott Thomas. Now, what's the matter with that? Well, nothing uh, except for the fact that her grandfather died in the year 2015. She received a $500 campaign contribution in 2021 from her grandfather that died six years before that. Now, Mosby vouched for the donation under penalty of perjury. And I got to tell you, as far as dead relatives go, this one is pretty generous. A similar donation was also made in 2017 to Mosby's husband, City Council President Nick Mosby. Well, if the ghost of Prescott Thomas is feeling generous... He could fork over a little to me. I wouldn't mind. I mean, this is a woman who's a prosecutor. And she either didn't know her grandfather is dead or she had no problem signing under penalty of perjury that this is a genuine donation. I mean, come on. Uh, I want to denounce... Jayana Tanay Webb. Janaya Tanay Webb tweeted the following on January 15th. If you ask me, I am the best drunk driver ever. That is not something that you ever want to tweet, especially if you are actually someone that drinks and drives. As is the case with Gianna Tanay Webb. Because this 21-year-old woman killed two Pennsylvania state police troopers and a pedestrian, allegedly, on I-95 on March 21st. Two months after tweeting about what a great drunk driver she is, she killed two state troopers and a pedestrian. While driving. Drunk. I guess she's not such a great drunk driver. And then lastly, I have to denounce anyone who calls 911 when they don't have an emergency. We see cases like this all the time. This is just the latest of it. A customer was upset that she was shorted four pieces of chicken at KFC. And she called 911 to complain. She told the police in Ohio that she ordered eight chicken, eight chicken pieces, double what she got, and said the manager would not give her the missing food. She told the police, the uh, 911 dispatcher, I want my chicken. Hmm. Now, she was requesting law enforcement's assistance in getting all her chicken. Authorities responded to the KFC fast food restaurant 
before 7.30. She was advised this is not a police matter, that it was a civil issue. Guys, if you get shorted for the fast food order, please don't call the police. Please. I'm begging you. Or if it's anything stupid like that, please don't call the police. Otherwise, I will denounce you. Ambassador Peter Ford joins me uh, in just a couple of minutes. He was formerly the British ambassador to Syria, and uh, he has sees a lot of parallels between what's happening in Russia and Ukraine and what's happening in Syria. We're going to get into it in a big way in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. Talk Radio 77. WABC. George Strait, does Fort Worth ever cross your mind? I'll tell you what I have been um, having cross my mind. Uh, I have been thinking a great deal about um, Syria because if you listen to some of the same things that we're hearing about chemical weapons and Russia, we heard some of those same warnings with respect to Syria. For instance, This was President uh, Joe Biden a couple of days ago on Russia's use of chemical weapons. So you've warned about the real threat of chemical weapons being used. Would the U.S. or NATO respond with military action if he did use chemical weapons? We would respond. We would respond if he uses it. The nature of the response would depend on the nature of the use. And uh, the Secretary General of NATO, Jen Stolberg, uh, said that, um, it, well, he had this to say on the subject of Russia using chemical weapons. So we are concerned, uh, partly because we see the rhetoric uh, and we see that Russia is uh, trying to create some kind of pretext accusing Ukraine, United States, NATO allies for preparing uh, to use uh, chemical and biological uh, weapons. And we have seen before that this uh, 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 way of accusing others is actually a way to create, to create a pretext for do the same uh, uh, themselves. Uh, and, and, of course, the accusations against Ukraine and NATO allies are absolutely false. Now, here to help us break down the current situation is Ambassador Peter Ford. He is the former British ambassador to both Bahrain and Syria and the co-chairman of the British Syrian Society. Ambassador, it's great to talk with you again. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's it's my pleasure. Now, um, by the way, we remember that President Trump attacked Syria, I think twice from what I'm told, from what I recall, for Assad's use of chemical weapon uh, uh, weapons in Syria. There were a lot of people that had questions about whether that chemical weapon attack actually happened and whether it was actually conducted by Assad. 
What did the independent arbiters of fact actually determine about Assad's use of chemical weapons during the Trump administration? Well, basically, uh, independent experts of the UN uh, said there was no conclusive proof that Assad uh, used, but there were indications that the uh, incidents were fake, that the the scene of the crime, as it were, uh, saw tampered evidence, uh, crazy things like uh, a chlorine canister that was supposed to bounced up off the floor onto a bed. I mean, unbelievable. Um, but this was uh, enough pretext uh, for the, the bombings to, to go ahead. What really seems to have happened is that the, the jihadis who were desperate fighting uh, Assad backs to the wall uh, tried to draw in Western countries, and they did so by uh, faking a chemical attack. Uh, and, and that's what these independent inspectors of the, um, it, was, it was called OPCW, the uh, UN Agency for Chemical Weapons, their report was hushed up. These findings were brushed under the carpet, but some whistleblowers came out later and the truth emerged. So a similar scenario looks like it's brewing in Ukraine. You, you wrote a uh, fascinating piece calling Ukraine the Syria playbook redux. Um, explain, explain why there are similarities between the Syria situation and Russia. I mean, on the face of it, it would seem like there are a great many differences. Assad um, had no problem going after terrorists and maybe other jihadist groups in his own country, but he didn't invade any neighboring countries, um, Vladimir Putin has invaded a sovereign neighboring country. So I would think there would be a great many differences. What is the similarity? The similarity is mainly in the uh, the tactics involved and, and in the, the information war. We just discussed one aspect of that, uh, the hoo-ha around alleged use of chemical weapons. This is part of the, the info uh, war. And it's being used on, on both sides. The, I mean, the, the, the way the um, Assad's uh, uh, fight was, was described, it was as, as the brutal dictator Assad uh, is waging a war on civilians. It wasn't true. He was waging a war on jihadis who were using civilians as human shields. But we're, we're hearing this, a similar story about uh, Putin. Uh, oh, he's waging war on civilians. Well, I've seen Pentagon reports that have been leaked suggesting that that's bullshit. And um, uh, just, that, Ambassador, just be careful on the radio with uh, what verbiage <laughs> we use. It's my English uh, way, um, bovine excrement. Um, it's um, not not serious uh, uh, a way to describe uh, what, what's going on. Yes, uh, civilians are, are very tragically being hurt, but that's, I mean, it, it, it makes no military sense to target civilians. Um, and it was the same in Syria. It made no sense for Assad to take a big risk using chemical weapons when, when he had no need to. Right, especially um, when President Trump had warned that that would be the one thing that would cause America to intervene exactly. militarily. But um, exactly. in the case of Russia, um, so much was made over the Russians 
attacking that hospital that included a maternity ward. There were a lot of reports about that. Did that not happen? Did the Russians not attack a hospital? It seems quite uh, possible that there were uh, snipers or uh, other military personnel uh, on the roof of the hospital. Because again, it, it makes no military sense. It, 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 it just creates good publicity for the other side. That's why we're discussing it now. All these atrocity stories have basically the same purpose, to, to drag us, US, UK, into the war. That is what is going on here. It's important we understand that and we not let ourselves be duped uh, because the consequences hardly need uh, spelling out. Tell me how you think both uh, Prime Minister Johnson and President Biden have handled this Russian war with with Ukraine so far. Uh, terribly, uh, <laughs> particularly in the case of my Prime Minister Johnson, who's trying to channel Churchill, uh, but he's a clown. Uh, many people in this country can't take Johnson seriously. And you, you know what? He's using this crisis as a distraction from problems he was having uh, just a few weeks ago. He was facing serious calls for his resignation. He was teetering on the brink over a scandal, a stupid scandal uh, that, that he, he'd broken the rules uh, on, on COVID, uh, having a party during COVID in his office. But it was, it, he was really uh, uh, under uh, heavy pressure and likely to have to resign. So the war was a godsend to him, and he's milked it. He has milked this crisis to portray himself as the leader of the West. Unbelievable. The new Churchill saving us all. God help how, us. How can the West, the U.S., the U.K., the other NATO allies, how can the West avoid repeating the same mistakes in Ukraine that they made in Syria, where they were duped into attacking Assad um, because they were convinced through this this jihadist false flag operation that he was using chemical weapons? Uh, we have to uh, change uh, the strategy. We should be uh, pushing for a peace uh, uh, agreement. Um, it's sad, but in the end, uh, Ukraine will have to make uh, concessions. Uh, this is the best way to guarantee long-term uh, peace for, for everybody. Um, in the end, uh, Ukraine will have to uh, make a deal uh, with, with Russia, will have to agree to be like Austria. Is that so terrible? Neutral. Like Finland. Is that so really awful? Is that worth going to war, to world war, to preserve Ukraine's right to be a full member of NATO when they could be like Austria or Finland? We're deranged, deranged to consider this uh, important. Ukraine could have a prosperous future, but I'm afraid they've been pushed too far by NATO. Um, NATO by establishing bases, by promising membership for Ukraine. has We brought this on to the poor Ukrainian people. They've just been a cat's paw mm. in a struggle between NATO and Russia. We've been hearing a great deal about the potentiality of a Russian chemical weapons attack. We've heard it from the Secretary General of NATO. We've heard it from the President of the United States, his spokesman, Jen Psaki. We, a lot of folks. 
Do you think that a Russian chemical weapons attack in Ukraine is, if not likely, at least possible? I would totally rule it out. It, it would be utter madness for Putin to do the one thing that he wants to avoid, which is to uh, provide the pretext for uh, the U.S. and uh, the rest of NATO to start bombing him and his soldiers. I mean, can, can we listen to ourselves? We're sounding stupid. I mean, I, I hear NATO leaders saying that Putin wants to draw us in, into the conflict. Listen to ourselves. That is just plain stupid. To be taken in by this is, is ridiculous. Uh, no, the last thing Putin would do, the absolute last thing, and he has absolutely no military need to do so. It just doesn't bear any serious scrutiny. But it makes every sense for Ukrainian intelligence to mount uh, a fake uh, operation, which is very easily done. Uh, that's how it happened in, in Syria. All they did was drag into a hospital ward a bunch of kids off the street. And, uh, nothing had happened, but they were just dousing the kids with water, making it look like uh, there had been a chemical uh, attack. And, and our media, I'm sorry to say, main, mainstream media, uh, uh, will lap it up. Uh, and in, in no time, they'll whip us up into a frenzy. Ambassador, we're as out of the mainstream of the media as possible. So uh, we're not offended by your criticisms <laughs> of the mainstream uh, media. So um, now, where did this come from, this whole idea of the Russian threat of a chemical weapons attack? Do you believe that came from Zelensky and his whole crowd, or, or did that come from elsewhere? Uh, I think the, the Russians have been uh, uh, seriously worried about the, the prospect of, of, of uh, repeat of the serious scenario, um, that they, they, they're sin sincerely afraid that Ukrainian intelligence, maybe with some uh, handlers on NATO's side, uh, would uh, mount uh, such a, uh, an operation to provide the, the casus belli, the reason for war. And, and the Russian talking about that is what has sparked uh, all, all the hoo-ha. Uh, but it, it is a scary prospect. I mean, personally, I feel threatened by this prospect that Ukrainian intelligence will mount some stunt and uh, we'll all get dragged into conflict and Russia will be bombing us in England in a week or so. It is a, a, a truly scary prospect. We're talking with Ambassador Peter Ford. He is the former British ambassador to both Bahrain and Syria. He's also the co-chairman of the British Syrian Society. Do you think that a regime change attempt against Putin uh, might be in the offing, similar to uh, what what there was with Assad? And if so, do you think that uh, a regime change attempt against Putin will be any more successful than it was against Assad? Absolutely not. That, that is surely the, the lesson of, of, of Syria, uh, that these leaders are very hard to dislodge. Uh, they, whether we like it or not, they do enjoy uh, widespread from their countrymen and uh, women. They're very uh, resilient. Um, and in fact, you have to look before you leap. I mean, what would have happened if we'd been successful in, in toppling Assad? It would have opened the doors to all the jihadis in the world. 
ISIS would have been today in control of Damascus. It's not like the civilians were just going to take control if Assad fell. No, it was the warlords, the jihadis, the people we're supposed to be really afraid of. And so in Russia, does anybody really know what would happen if Putin was toppled? Things can always get worse as well as better. This is what we always forget. Uh, now, what about the need, uh, Ambassador, for a more secure geopolitical scene? Uh, does America, does the West, does the UK have an interest in getting rid of, this is the narrative, a madman like Putin uh, because he's somebody that would invade a neighboring country? Is the world, is Europe a safer place if we do pursue a course of regime change in Russia? No, that's absolutely uh, uh, crazy. We, we, we've missed opportunities over the last 30 years to have a, a stable, um, peaceful, uh, prosperous relationship with, with Russia by expanding uh, NATO. Remember, Kissinger was against expanding NATO. You know, this is not some wacko, far-out uh, belief. Expanding right, George NATO Kennan as well. Uh, exactly, exactly. The wisest of, of them all. Um, it, it, it made no sense, but we need to get back to that position. Uh, we need to stabilize the situation in Ukraine, let there be a, a compromise peace agreement, and then steadily uh, put the pieces back uh, together again. And that's going to have to in, involve the uh, scaling down of, of sanctions. I mean, anybody who seriously believes that Russia is going to withdraw from Ukraine before sanctions are lifted is is uh, delusional. I've had a lot of guests on uh, over the course of the last month who have cited NATO expansion as one of the precipitating factors that led to this Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I can't count how many times in a day I hear allusions to never Neville Chamberlain appeasing Hitler. Now, let me ask you, as somebody that uh, that lives in the UK, where Chamberlain was the prime minister, um, let's say we do get a negotiated settlement, which w results in Russia getting some sanctions lifted, Crimea being recognized as part of Russia, the two Donbass republics being recognized as independent, and Ukraine swearing off allegiance to NATO. Doesn't that, giving Putin so much of what he wants, doesn't that reward him for invading a neighboring country and incentivize him to do it again in the future? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, many people think that uh, the agreement that Neville Chamberlain uh, reached at the cost of Czechoslovakia actually bought us time to, to rearm so that we were more ready uh, when the big one uh, came uh, two years down, down the track. But I'll leave that to the historians to argue about. But um, the one thing we don't have to fear is Putin trying to grab um, more uh, territory in, in Europe. It really makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, it, 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 he's not suicidal. Uh, when we say he's deranged, this is just a, a way so that we don't have to look at this seriously. 
don't have to face up to the consequences of our own actions. I mean, we, we've, if, if this was uh, soccer, uh, it's like we've put 10 uh, goals uh, in, in, into Putin's net, and he might get one of those goals back with Ukraine. But that's it. That's the end of the game. Game over. It was reported in the Washington Post that the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, has not attempted any conversations with his counterpart, the Russian Foreign Minister, Sergei Lavrov, since the start of the conflict. That's according to U.S. officials speaking to the Washington Post. Now, it doesn't seem like we're very close to a diplomatic end to this crisis if two of the key players involved in this aren't even speaking. I mean, uh, am I missing something? Um, I'm not sure this is entirely a bad thing, you know, uh, <laughs> um, because there's much more likelihood that Putin can come to uh, an agreement with the president, with Zelensky, um, if they're just left to their, their own devices mm. and everybody else just butts out because we're only going to complicate. Uh, we can come in later when the framework of an agreement is, is settled. I, I uh, believe that uh, Russia uh, wants Zelensky to stay president. He has credibility. He'll be able, he's perhaps the only person who'll be able to sell, to market a peace agreement, which will be unpalatable, uh, but he's the guy who can eventually sell it. So far from the Russians wanting Zelensky gone, I think he's pretty indispensable to them. The danger is that he's going to overplay his hand. Interesting. Interesting. There's a big debate all over the West about what weapons and what sort of military aid we should be uh, supplying to the Ukrainians. The thinking is, oh, if we can send them Javelin missiles, if we can send them MiGs, if we can send them any sort of armament, that'll help them stave off the Russian bear a little bit longer and maybe save some Ukrainian lives. What is the flaw in that logic? Uh, the opposite is, is the truth. Um, the inevitable will happen sooner or later. Uh, Russia is going to win this war. The sooner it's brought to an end, the better. So pouring more arms uh, into uh, Ukraine is just uh, adding uh, fuel to, to the flames. This, this is what happened in, in Syria. Um, the U.S. poured about a, a billion dollars worth of arms into Syria. It ended up mostly in the hands of jihadis. It didn't work anyway. It didn't work anyway. And it merely served to prolong the agony. But have things calmed down in Syria at this point? Uh, they have. There's a standoff now. Uh, Assad controls about 70% of the country, and the, the jihadis uh, control about a, a, a quarter up in the, the north. And the Kurds, uh, with an assist from uh, U.S. forces, are holding on to an area the size of Kansas in the northeast. Uh, but the situation is stable. There's not much going on. And there's not much likely to go on in, in militarily for the foreseeable future. I think everybody wants to see how Ukraine works out, because that is going to have a bearing on what happens next in Syria. 
How concerned should people be about reports that Putin is recruiting Syrian mercenaries to help with this war effort in Syria? I mean, in Ukraine, excuse me. Uh, I think this is a Russian psyops, to be quite honest. I may be wrong here, but I think this is uh, a little trick on the part of the Russians to spook uh, Ukrainians because, you know, the idea that these uh, Syrian Arab cutthroats could be coming into your town to conduct house-to-house fighting isn't going to encourage you to stay home. Uh, so uh, I see it uh, as a, 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 an operation uh, to just uh, uh, get people to, to leave more, more easily. Um, I may be wrong, um, but I noticed the latest intelligence reports show almost zero sign of it actually happening. Hmm. Uh, very interesting. Uh, by the way, it, how should it, a country like Israel view Bashar al-Assad over what was the likely alternative to him in Syria? Um, Yeah, Israel is in (laughs) an awkward uh, position. Um, On the one hand, they'd like Assad uh, gone, but on the other hand, uh, removing him might open the the gates of hell. Uh, No one really knows what would come after and as i said earlier things can always get get worse so israel seems content with uh, containing syria and above all um resisting uh, what they see as encroachments by uh, iran uh, the setting up of iranian military facilities in in syria but israel's role is very interesting in in ukraine i think israel can play a big part in uh mediating this peace deal, uh, and uh, above all, in marketing it alongside uh, Zelensky, uh, because Israel has credibility with the West. Well, it's going to be very interesting to see if uh, Bennett is able to mediate some sort of an agreement here uh, between Russia and Ukraine. Ambassador, it is always uh, a treat talking with you. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is the uh, this is Harvest Moon. Great song about uh, those of us that are up at this time of night or this time of morning. Uh, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. If you want to comment on anything we're discussing, eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. So I finally went uh, to the the uh, E N T yesterday, the ear, nose, and throat doctor. 
So I, um, I, if you're just tuning in, if you're a new listener, I've been battling this sore throat for about two weeks, actually. And it, it, I, it hasn't really affected my voice. It's just been uncomfortable for about two weeks. That was until um, Wednesday. On when, Tuesday night, Tuesday during the day, which means Wednesday morning show for me, I couldn't speak the whole day. I was terrified that I was going to miss the show. And I was really nervous, honestly. I mean, scared that I couldn't speak and do the show that day. So anyway, I soldiered through it, did a lot of gargling, did use a lot of lozenges, um, so all the conventional remedies. But um, I had went to a walk-in center last weekend because I was alarmed at how long I had this sore throat. And they did a, an instant strep test. Strep test came back negative. They also did a throat culture. And that takes a day or two to get the results. They said, all right, I'm going to prescribe you some antibiotics. Um, if, if, you know, you, since you've had it for a while, why don't you go and get them? You can even start taking them if you want. And if the throat culture comes back negative, stop taking the antibiotics. That was, they said, so, okay. So I do that throat culture comes back negative. Everything's normal. And all of a sudden I'm losing my voice and I still have on the left side of my throat, what feels like a lump in my throat. So I get a uh, referral to a very, very good specialist, uh, an ENT doctor. And this guy was thorough. I was very impressed with this guy. He not only examined down my throat with a big, um, you know, skull, you know, tube and everything. He's, he's looking down there. Um, he's poking around. He's feeling around the outside. He's looking not just in my throat, but my ears. He's looking inside my ears. And where else would an ear, nose, and throat doctor look? Yes, my nose. He, he numbed my nose. And sent this giant tube, it's like a camera, down my nose, all the way down my throat. And he ultimately found nothing. He says, look, everything I see looks normal. I don't see any redness. I don't see any irritation. I don't see anything wrong. So um, here's what I think it is. I think that it's acid reflux because that would affect you down by your esophagus and um, I can't see that. So he gave me a list of things to avoid and a list of things to do, increasing the height of the head of the bed, 8 to 12 inches, using extra pillows and a cushion wedge, blocks or bricks under the feet of the head of the bed, no late meals, uh, no eating or drinking two to three hours before bed, and in terms of foods to avoid, carbonated beverages, citrus, which I've been eating and drinking a lot of, especially since I've had this sore throat, I've been down eating orange after orange because of the vitamin C when I thought I might have a cold, and caffeine, caffeinated beverages. So uh, maybe that's it. He also suggested that maybe he doesn't think that it's the case, but maybe it's a thyroid issue since it, I'm complaining about it in the area of my thyroid. So he said, give it a week or two, make these changes, and if it's still hurting, which it is, in a week or two, then make an appointment with a gastroenterologist. In the meantime, uh, go get the thyroid um, examined. So that's where we are. That's the latest on my throat. Thank you to everybody that's been inquiring and everyone that's been so supportive. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. 
This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everybody, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thank you for listening. And um, hey, did you ever have a Walkman? I did. I had a Walkman. Matt Blaze had a Walkman. Um, how, when did you get your Walkman, Matt Blaze? Uh, like in 1981. That's like that. that's when it was. It was big. It was big around. Not, not early only that. Age. But the, the radio, there was not a radio. It was just a cassette. You had to actually stick a separate like cassette in to make it a radio. It was like a device that stuck in the cassette player, and that's how you get a radio. It didn't even have a radio in it, in the original Walkmans. Did you throw it out, The uh, your Walkman? Yeah, you don't have it anymore. No, it's long gone. Well, there's a lot of people that still like the Walkman, and Sony is bringing it back. Now, the Walkman was first released in 1979. It was a a cassette player that came with foam headphones. And I used to have one. And then later on, Sony came out with the Discman. Remember what a thing that was? That was like, forget about it. It was like beams from the future. That was a CD player with headphones. I mean, wow. Well, it's back. Uh, Although... It doesn't exactly do the same things that the Walkman that Matt Blaze and I had. Instead, the latest Walkman is a digital music player that costs $1,600 or $3,200, depending on what type of model you get. They're banking on people's love of nostalgia, especially recent nostalgia, especially recent nostalgia related to technology, that they're thinking that this is going to be a big seller. So the New York Times did an interesting story in the technology section headline, Do You Still Love the Walkman? And it chronicled people that love technology that it's that's long past its prime. And I thought that might be an interesting subject to explore with you. Now, in my own case, I have at least 10 radios, I think. Again, I'd have to sit and do an inventory because I think I probably have radios that I don't even know about. But I have at least 10 radios. Meanwhile, I have a smart speaker that in theory does all the things that the radio does. I have a VCR. I have a DVD player. Even though... 
Actually, I have, yeah, I have a DVD player. Even though you can really just speak into your remote control now with my smart television, and it'll immediately call up whatever you want. What do you have? What technology do you have that is long past its prime? Uh, Chris Freilich, who's chronicled in this New York Times article, talks about how he still loves the Sony PlayStation portable video game device. And when he pulls this out at a party, um, people swarm. And it's, you know, you know what I did for about a year and a half? And I still have it. And I haven't kept up with it. I might bring it back. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I had a, a beeper for a year and a half that I actually activated, a pager. But, and I would carry it with me all the time, but no one was calling me on it. No one was beeping me. If they wanted to reach me, they would either text me or or try to call me on my mobile phone. And then I thought, all right, what am I carrying this around every day for and paying a, a yearly bill if, if um, you know, nobody's going to even beep me on it? I might restore it just for the... I might, I might uh, re, uh, re-up just for the sake of it. So uh, to some people, this kind of stuff might be obsolete junk. But to some people, like this guy Chris Freilich, who loves his Sony PlayStation, technology gadgets contain history. History of the collector's lives, the tech industry, the United States, or maybe some combination of all. This fellow, Chris Freilich, says that they tell a story. I've used and sold and loved this stuff from when it first came out. And it's cool to look back and realize how important it was. Now, this fella actually converted a third floor attic in his home into a personal museum for his collection of technology devices and memorabilia for the, from the past 40 years or more. So he owns multiple versions of the old school Walkman and the Sony Discman. Um, he also has a he also has the Sony PlayStation. He owns the pieces of an original blue box electronic dice that Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak cobbled together before they founded Apple. His collection has so many phones, including a Gordon Gecko style monster and a Soviet era yellow phone designed for connecting to the the Kremlin. Um, Addison Del Mastro's love for a 1970s cassette tape changer from Japan and old clock radios isn't about nostalgia. Del Mastro, who actually writes a newsletter about urbanism and land use. In fact, I'm going to actually invite him on this show. He sounds like an interesting guy is 28 years old, and he's barely wielded that stuff himself. We have a couple of younger listeners that listen to this show and are kind of into old-school technology. But this fellow, Addison Del Mestro, said that when he was a teenager, he brought home from his local recycling center a discarded Radio Shack clock radio with faux wood paneling and a cassette player. I plugged the thing in, and it worked. He was hooked. He said he appreciates the creativity and the craftsmanship that went into decades-old consumer electronics, as well as the ability to understand how they work. So what obsolete technology do you have, do you use, do you collect? 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. In my case, I've got a beeper, although I have to re-up it. I have 
a VCR, a DVD player, two typewriters, nine radios, and several old school video cameras that, you know, you would never buy one of these video cameras. Old school video cameras that it's very difficult to even get a tape deck to play the tapes that these videotapes record on. Tell me. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. My, my Aunt Camille of Egg Salad fame, she actually still has a flip phone. So, um, you know, this there, it's very common to hold on to this old tech. And it's very common for a lot of people to even collect this technology. What do you collect? What do you have? What do you utilize? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Coming up in about 20 minutes, uh, not only will we do the $1,000 minute, let me give you a hint. In honor of Sunday's Academy Awards, today's $1,000 minute is completely movie-related. Movies, 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 motion pictures, motion pictures, motion pictures. It's all about motion pictures. This weekend, this 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 thousand dollar bet. So if you don't know anything about uh, the Academy Awards or or movies, then, you know, you may want to skip this one. Joe and Ron Konkuma, tell me what you collect. Hey, Frank, another great show. Thank you. I'm obsessed. Um, two things before I get off. Um, one was my record player. Um, my dad that passed away five years ago gave me a tabletop a record player, and I collect, and Frank, I go to yard sales on my routes. People throw out records. I have over a 1,000 records. I have from Benny Goodman, Frank Sinatra, the Beatles, and I just love sitting there and listening to the sound of the record popping, and uh, it's it's just, it's soothing. It reminds me of my childhood, you know, my my grandparents listening to records. It's I just love it. So a record player, and you still use it regularly? Yeah, yeah. My my kids get annoyed with me. I have a VCR. I have old camcorders that I found on my route. Uh, before I go, uh, I know I said at the beginning of the week, uh, I don't know if I'm going to make 15 seconds of fame, but I want to wish a very happy birthday to my daughter on Sunday. She's turning 15. Uh, she's a great kid, Frank. Uh, I love her so much. And uh, I just wanted to have a great day. And also my sister's. I know your wife is on the same day also. Yep. I wish them all very happy, and your wife also. Convey that to her. A very happy birthday. Enjoy your weekend, Frank. Thank Another you. Show. Appreciate it very much, Joe. 800-848-WABC. Nick in Wisconsin, what obsolete technology do you still hold on to? Floppy disks. The original mm-hmm. big five and three-quarter inch floppy disks uh, for PCs. I got a couple Bluetooth, or I'm sorry, um, Blue, uh, Blackberry phones and uh, original Game Boy. You surprised me here. That is, do you still use the floppy disks? Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> why? I mean, so why are you holding on to them? Uh, just something I look back at. I mean, you know, when I was in school, he used to stick those in the computer and uh, play in trail. Yeah, hey, uh, I, uh, I do the same thing. How many do you have? Uh, about a dozen or so. Some of them are blank, you know, because I used to write or, you know, um, use them for copying something else. My dad, you know, was with IBM for a while, and he had a lot of 
old computer stuff and the one that I just hung on to. Well, that's neat, Nick. I like that. Mike is in Hoboken. Mike, what are you hanging on to? Uh, Betamax. No way. You still have Betamax? <laughs> I have tapes on Betamax. Do you I have? Bought, I actually, I bought my first Betamax. It cost me like almost twelve hundred dollars. Well, you know, um, do you still have the Betamax player? No, my ex-wife threw it away. Oh, so why now? I, I actually have the tapes, though. I do. Well, now, why um, do you hold on to the tapes if you don't have a deck to play them? Well, I had a, I had a friend who actually died in a motorcycle accident, and uh, he wanted to buy the Betamax for me because he would do he did video transfer, um, oh, musical transfer. And he's dead, but I have the, I still have the, the tapes. I also a lot of VHS tapes. Right. So, uh, but since your friend died, are you planning to have them converted, or are you just holding on to them? I guess as... I got to convert them to CDs or right? whatever DVDs. And and you're going to convert them? I'm not sure. I'm not. I, yeah, my phone is a crappy phone. Right. Well, thank you, Mike. You know, it's funny. Betamax. Um, I've used modern betas in video production, but not the old school consumer uh, Betamax VCRs. Rush Limbaugh told a story one time that he, when it first came out, thought this was the coolest thing in the world. They cost $2,500. Now, Rush Limbaugh wasn't earning $2,500 in two months at the time. And I think he was working as a DJ. He actually went to a bank and got a loan to buy this Betamax VCR and told them that he needed this for his job uh, and he needed to record programs and watch them for his job being on the radio. And they bought it. They got the loan. 800-848-9222. Steve in New Jersey. Hello, Steve. Hey, good morning, Frank. Um, one quick note about the Walkman before I tell you what we collect. Uh, wait, so, about, what? about what? About the Walkman? Oh, the Walkman, yeah. Sorry, Walkman. So, um, me and my wife in our early 50s, we have teenage kids. And, you know, like, the Walkman was replaced by, like, like MP3 players and iPods. But to this day, my wife will tell my kids, go upstairs and get my Walkman. And when she first started saying that to them, they're like, Mom, what do you want me to get? What do well, you mean? What is a Walkman? You, well, you know, Walkman. it's funny. There's a lot of people that still use old-fashioned terms for um, technology that does the same thing. Like, there's a lot of people that will still use the term Tativo something, even though they're using DVR. There's still a lot of people that use the term tape something. Uh, do you want to, you know, want to tape something, even though there's no tape involved? You know, there was, um, you know, uh, Jay Diamond one time told me his father always used to refer to their television as a radio. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then also, what we do collect, I have an old arcade machine from 1984. The cabinet was originally um, a game called Final Fight. And we were able to refurbish it. And we put our brain in there. It's called Pandora's Box. So now in that old-fashioned technology, you can play like Miss Pac-Man, Donkey Kong. Oh, that's cool. All 600 games from the 80s. And we have a blast of that in our basement. I guess like we're trapped like in the... Late 70s and early 80s. Uh, well, that's cool. Thank you, Steve. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Uh, it's uh, 800-848-9222. Dara is in Saratoga. I haven't heard from you in a while, Dara. Morning, Frank. Working like crazy. Uh, so, good for you. 
<laughs> my devices are, uh, and you know, I'm all, all about tech, except I have a few price things. I have an old wind-up portable alarm clock that I still take with me in case power goes out. Um, you take it with you my, every day? No, no. I take it with me when I travel. Oh, I see. Got in, it. Got it. In case the power goes out, I still keep my appointments. I also have the wind-up terrestrial radio. Uh, I guess it's called a weather radio now, so I never miss my favorite episodes of you. I also have a flip phone, which is a backup to my digital devices um, in case I'm stuck in an airport and there's no place to plug in. Um, but my prized possession are my entire shoebox of cassette tapes that were originally mixed for me by friends back in the day in the late 70s where used to tape favorite songs off the radio instead of buying them because none of us had money to buy anything. And they we used to mix them, like just like splice and cut and mix them and make cassettes and hand them out to our friends. They were like our old original mixes. And I, I still play them because they have this like, it's like patina on a, on a furniture. It's just this authentic audio quality. And I'll, I'll never part with them because they're just great memories. And it was a gift from a friend. Oh no! I, I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine that. That's great, Dara. Thank you for sharing that. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Emilio is in Ohio. Hello, Emilio. Well, uh, good day to you, Frank. Uh, I just wanted to share some of my old school ideas here in Bellevue, Ohio. I uh, actually uh, still pay all my bills with a money order and a stamp. Uh, I'm on a Walmart uh, straight talk home phone service, unlimited nationwide for 15 a month. And uh, yeah, basically everything's old school, no cell phone, no internet, no smartphone. Um, still living my father's dream, I guess. I became my father's son in a way. But uh, Is your father Tom Baudet? I didn't know. Why do you ask? Uh, well, somebody suggested that uh, that it was a little earlier, but uh, fair enough, Amelia. Thank you. Uh, give our best to Rusty as well. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two. Choo choo. Big Julie is in Brooklyn. Hello, Big Julie. Hey, Frankie. I got a couple of things that I think that I'm old school about. First off, little pocket portable radios from 1967. I use regularly. Maybe an old Sony. Beautiful looking radio. Chrome in the front. 1983 Mitsubishi TV I use in my speakeasy, number two. <laughs> number three, I'm listening to your show tonight on a 1947 uh, federal radio, which I restore antique radios. Uh, you want me to go on? I got more and more. Yeah, I, got a little, I do. I got a, I got a little portable record player from 1970, battery-operated AM record player that we used to carry around when we were kids. I, I've just restored that. I've had it for a couple now, of years, actually. What do you do, uh, Big Julie, when you need to replace the, the needle on that record player? Well, believe it or not, today you have an option that we didn't have years ago. It's called the Internet. Mm. People I've heard of that. Things. I've heard of that. Years ago, years ago, when you needed a part, you had to either substitute and hope to God somebody had some old stuff laying around, like radio tubes or something. But today you've got that. As a matter of fact, I had to order a tube for an old radio, and there's companies that are selling them. As a matter of fact, they're selling a lot of them to China. Mm -hmm. And they're restoring uh, things and manufacturing amplifiers for the uh, 
hipsters today and charging them big money with electron tubes. Oh, no, I've heard of that. I'm not surprised. 800-848-9222. What's an obsolete piece of technology that you collect? 800-848-9222. Corey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Hello, Frank. Um, my, my, I have several old cameras, like Kodachromes. Um, Kodachrome, I love it. And uh, like that pop-up. And the only battery you'd need would be for like the attachable flash to them. I don't use them, but... Uh, and I especially like um, old-school tools, like power tools that... You manually powered. Well, give me give me some examples. Okay, so I have this hand drill, and you basically operate it. It's got a big sprocket or a gear, and you crank the handle on it, and it spins the gear, and it you could put your drill bit in it, and it has a handle, so you just with your hand you crank the the drill bit. So you don't need any electricity, any battery, anything like that. It was my grandfather's. Um, another example is a push mower. A push that mower, it really? Just has, it just has blades on the front, and it's got two wheels, or in some cases four wheels, but mine has two. You just push it, and as the wheels turn, the blades turn. I love that. That's cool. That's cool. High grass. Yeah. yeah. No. See, that's neat. My grandmother, and thanks for for that, Corey. My grandmother used to have a carpet sweeper, and I, I would say to her, "Why do you keep the carpet sweeper when you have a vacuum cleaner?" And she said, "Well, sometimes I don't like to go to the trouble of plugging the vacuum cleaner in and finding, um, you know, an outlet." I still maintain that the carpet sweeper did almost nothing. I think it really just. Uh, I think it really just pushed dust and dirt around. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Joe in Brooklyn. Hello. Hi Frank. I have a uh, an old three speed Panasonic VCR that beats Copy God. You can copy anything on it. Oh, so, wait. So it, is it two decks? It's two decks. What do you mean two decks? Well, no. so so I mean, there's no. only one. No, I hooked up a, a, a remote VCR to that machine, and it would copy anything. Any right? Any so you have to with... you have to install a second VCR then. No, I have a. I have. I always right. had a couple so fo- of VCRs. Follow me, Joe. So, like, I have a Go Video dual deck VCR that allows me to copy one tape to another and get past any copyright. Now, no, it, let's is... say you want to copy one tape to another. How do you do that? Given the setup you have, I use another VCR. So you have to hook up another VCR to play it, and then you press record on that one. Right. And it beats. It used to beat the copy guard they had on all the tapes. Yeah, so that's I would, great. I would rent a movie copy, and I have it on my thousands of tapes. Yeah, I. Uh, that's a cool one. I I have it at my mom's still. One deck no longer works. I had this wonderful VCR. It it's a Go Video dual deck VCR that played Super VHS. Ah, I was just telling Philip about Super Because I would I would produce a lot of my public access videos, and when I first started on public access television, the playback format was Super VHS, 
but you couldn't watch it at home. So I wanted to, you know, take home the tapes that I was producing and, you know, putting them on for my friends and watch them myself. And I, I wanted to get a VCR that had SVHS playback. But I also wanted a VCR that could get past the copy guard, as he was describing. So Go Video had this great VCR. And again, only one deck works now. But it works well. It works well. We still have it. What's amazing about that technology is, so Super VHS was like a prosumer. It was in between commercial and right. and, and regular right. people buying, going to a store. I had Super VHS tapes as well. And I, I had nothing to play them on. So I bought a machine in 2007 for a hundred dollars, that when it came out in nineteen ninety four was three thousand. Oh, I'm not surprised. You got it for two thousand dollars. I got it for a hundred dollars. A hundred. It was three and, grand and he, in nineteen ninety four. Uh, that's right. So where thirteen you, years later, where on, did you on where eBay? Did, that's pretty. Hundred dollars. Cool. I got to see if I could find. And one. so now because HD has taken over, you talked about you had Beta and there was Beta SP and DigiBeta. A DigiBeta machine was used in networks and and facilities. Those machines used to cost fifty thousand dollars. They're like four hundred dollars. It's now. amazing. It is absolutely it's crazy. amazing. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. What old piece of technology do you have? Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Or what do you collect? Really, we're looking for people that have collections of old technology, like the folks chronicled in this New York Times article. I really like this New York Times article on. Um, on the Walkman. I'm going to link to it on my Facebook page if you want to read it and read some of the stories from the older people and the younger people that collect these old technology. Go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O-Fan. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello. Yeah, I have Hi. a rotary phone, uh, but not, not using it, but I mean, I have a rotary phone. Is it operational? Somewhere it in the house. It was, oper- yeah, it was operational. Up until uh, uh, ten years ago, or whatever, I don't know. And why'd you stop using it? <clears throat> no, because I I wound up. I bought some new phones, you know, new type. I have uh, in my office a phone that's made out to look like a rotary phone, but it's still a dial tone phone. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I I had the I had the real McCoy. Yeah. Well, no, I did years <clears throat> ago also. Uh, I mean, everyone did. I mean, that was the standard. What kind of phone do you have now? Uh, well, not that expensive. You know, uh, what brand is it? I even forgot what brand it is. No, I well, guess. but it's uh, it's plugged into the wall, right? It's not a mobile phone. Uh, no, it's not a mobile phone. Yeah, no. well, that's cool, Tom. Thank you. you. You're always on a good phone line, which I like about you. 800-848-9222. Uh, Stu is in Brooklyn. Do one more. Hello, Stu. Hey, good morning, Frank. Frank, I have a Remington Model 51. It's almost 100 years old. It's a 32 automatic. And I have a Kufu and Esser long, long Desitrig slide rule. I still carry it. Oh, you carry the slide? I carry both. That's... <laughs> That's great, Stu. My father still has his slide rule from Brooklyn Tech, uh, which was a big, important piece of technology for them at the time. Uh, John Vito has been holding a while. John Vito is in Staten Island. Hello, John Vito. I'm so glad I got you. Hope everything is well with your family. The baby you must be seeing. 
I'm going to see him pretty soon running around Eltonville. That's, That's right. You certainly will. Anyway, I have a museum on, besides arts and crafts that I do. I have a player piano artist that I rebuilt from scratch, and I play all my roles. I have about 500 roles. So I can play them and sing. I made a CD. I learned a lot of songs, and you have one of my CDs. Anyway, I have a radio from the 40s, big, like a Bakelite kind of a thing. It's about a foot and a half with a big dial, but the dial is as big as a... I don't know, maybe five, six inches when you turn and it's still operation. I got cassettes. I got maybe a dozen radio. I think I beat you on the radio. I have one of them in the basement, in the front, in the back. <laughs> and the little one at night when you wake me up or when I wake up to make a stop. Now, I have a, a Victrola. It's from 1904, made in New Jersey. And it's like immaculate. And I, I put the Caruso, uh, Caruso uh, records, one side only, heavy bag light. You know, they all, I have the whole album. And uh, nobody wants them. I want to donate them to a museum or anything. So I got that. I can play once in a while. I have a VHS player. It's a TV. Do you VHS. still use it? Do you still VHS. use it? I'm still store. You know, I got, do you I got still use? Phone, do you still use it? Uh, oh yeah, sure. All the phones. See, see I didn't go. No, no, no. The VCR. Of course. You did. Just plugged in. I put in, and then I see. What can I see? Uh, you know, uh, movie thirty, forty years. Like I end up uh, watching uh, La Mancha. I end up watching things I had missed growing up because you know coming here from a different place, a certain age, you're not involved. You don't come over here to play and find all this gadget. Yeah. I have a, a cassette player which is the as the dubbing. In other words, the same you that can can do a copy to itself and is a I'm an FM radio. You're, you're a man after my own heart, my friend. Thank you. Uh, eight hundred eight four. You know, actually, we're gonna we're gonna talk movies with. Um, Jason Frank Konigsberg from uh, panandslam.com because Sunday is the Academy Awards. If you're like me and you're going to try and, you know, at least see a couple movies between now and then, um, you, you know, you want to find out what movies you are poised to see. And uh, if you are wanting to participate in some Oscar pools, Jason has a pretty good track record of accurately predicting films. We'll get into that. But first, we're going to do the $1,000 Minute. All of the questions are movie-related. So if you want an opportunity to win $1,000 and you think you can answer 10 movie-related questions in 60 seconds, give me a call right now, and the seventh caller will win, or not win, but have an opportunity to answer these 10 questions in 60 seconds. Dial right now, 800-848-9222. That's 800 848 WABC. Frank Marano, 77, WABC. All right. Well, we all remember the uh, classic film, The Breakfast Club, uh, which you can see, uh, which you can hear this song in. And uh, there's all sorts of 1980s technology that was state of the art at the time, uh, but is now found in a museum if you watch that movie these days. Meantime, uh, there is a great opportunity for one lucky person to win some money. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents 
It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Jan, in Manhattan. Good morning, Jan. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm doing just great. Thank you. Now, uh, the way this contest works is after I ask you the first question, you're going to have 60 seconds for us to go through these 10 questions. They're all related to motion pictures or the Academy Awards. And if you get a question right, I'm going to move on to the next one. So I'm not going to say, oh, that's great. Congratulations. You're right. This way we could try and get through all 10 of these questions in 60 seconds. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Now. Um, in what borough, in what New York City borough, to be precise, does the 1945 film A Tree Grows in Brooklyn take place? Brooklyn. What Alfred Hitchcock movie featured an infamous murder scene in a shower? Psycho. What movie starring Bill Murray keeps repeating the same day over and over? Groundhog Day. What 2022 Oscar-nominated movie is based on a Broadway musical set on the west side of Manhattan? West Side Story. What kind of candy does Tom Hanks' character liken to life in Forrest Gump? Uh, Chocolate. What actor declined the Oscar for Best Actor for The Godfather using the American Indian Sasheen Littlefeather to address the Academy on his behalf? Marlon Brando. What 1975 movie starred a great white shark who kept eating people? Jaws. What New York City borough is also the title of a Woody Allen movie? Um, uh, Manhattan Murder Mystery. Oh, uh, well, that is um, what we were looking for. the, The title we were looking for was was Manhattan. The film Manhattan. Uh, but uh, you did very well. So I tell you what we are going to do, Jan. Uh, do you like the Beatles at all? Are you a Beatles fan? Yeah, I like the Beatles. All right. Well, we are going to give you uh, a pair of tickets to uh, Saturday night. The Fab Four is performing at the Palladium in Times Square. Uh, we're going to give you that and um, a WABC cap if you want. So I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to give all your information to Philip, and we'll get you situated with the Fab Four tickets and uh, a, a the other side of Midnight Baseball cap. Okay. Thank you very much, Frank. Thank you. Good job. Good job. She got up to question eight. Got up to question eight. The movie we were looking for was Manhattan. All right. A guy that knows uh, all those questions and many more that I would never even think to ask is Jason Frank Konigsberg, as his friends call him, JFK. He's a film critic with panandslam.com and uh, a, a frequent contributor to previous iterations of this program. Jason, thanks for getting up early for us. I know it's a struggle. My pleasure, Frank. It's been a long time, so it's. Uh, I just wish I could be back in the studio with you, like the old days. Yeah, same, same here. I same, same here. We'll get you back in one way or another sooner rather than later. Now, uh, Sunday's the big day, the Academy Awards. Now, uh, for people that haven't been following this stuff, what are the changes that are in place in this year's ceremony as compared to how it's been previously? 
No, I believe this year they're doing less, uh, like, best editing. Like, certain categories are not going to be televised, and people are upset about that. They've been toying with that idea years ago, and then they went back on it. I think this year they're finally sticking with that. That's the only really major change that I can foresee. I don't think there's anything else COVID-related uh, changes like we saw last year. Now, um, those those awards that they're not showing, the editing and the best sound and so forth, are, are people going to be able to at least watch them on the Internet or something? That I don't know. I'm not sure about that. You should be happy, though, because every year that we when we used to do this show, right. uh, Oscar preview show yearly, you always criticized the sound mixing. I, I said combine it. Two separate combined. categories. But I still yeah, think you always said that I found that during these Oscar ceremonies, a lot of the most memorable moments came from the, the the those other awards that they're now cutting out of it. I think it's a, I think it's a shame just from a, a, a memorable television point of view. Yeah, I'm okay with I I agree with that and I've been upset for years that they took out the, you know, Gene Hirschhold lifetime uh and humanitarian awards like we used to see like great tributes to great Yeah, why did they do away with that? I have no idea. Golden Globes didn't do away with it, but uh, the Oscars did away with that. Oh, I don't know. For the past 10 years, maybe. Yeah. Oscars. You know, I, Golden then, Globes just did away with televising their show entirely, which I'm OK with, too, because the Golden Globes. And I mean, they were fun, I guess. I think it was Warren Beatty who had the, co- uh, the quote, Golden Globes are fun. Oscars are business. <laughs> uh, so and he's kind of right. So uh, now in terms of the. um you know, the, the hosts of the Oscars this year. I remember last couple of years they didn't have a host. I understand the host is back this year. Who is it? Uh, you know what? Who is the host? I'm not, I didn't, I thought they were doing the same thing that they did previously it, with multiple people. Oh, uh, you know, I think it is multiple people. I, I'm going to have to look that up while I'm talking to you. Yeah, All right. okay. I'm not sure exactly who the host is. I, I do remember there's been a lot of controversy because Kevin Hart was supposed to do it. This was years ago. And he said no. So the, the hosting, the, the job of hosting the Oscars isn't the, you know, glory uh, job that it used to be in the days of Johnny Carson and Billy Crystal, certainly. So. Okay, apparently it's Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes, and Regina Hall. That's Those are the okay, three hosts so of this year. Three women and uh, two two women of color there. I, I like Wanda Sykes. I haven't seen her in the longest time. Yeah, I like Amy so. Schumer, too. So hopefully, hopefully that aspect of things is... Uh, is good. Now, um, it, the film that got the most nominations this year, it was The Power of the Dog, which I saw uh, yesterday for the first time. What was your review of The Power of the Dog? Uh, did you manage to keep your eyes open during <laughs> Power of the Dog? I mean, I here's I, I'm all for a slow burn. OK, and I, I so I, I don't want to be taken like, oh, you know, it, it, subtlety is good and movies lack subtlety. But when your movie is nothing but subtlety, literally, there's an aha moment and their aha moment. It's not like the sixth sense where it comes at the end or, you know, this is the last 30 seconds. Literally, the final shot is the only reason that makes the power of the dog worth watching. I was not a fan of it. I certainly don't think it was worthy of 12 Oscar nominations. What we're seeing now is Netflix has become the new Miramax. 
And I don't mean that because Harvey Weinstein, you know, sexually assaulting women. <laughs> I mean that with their ruthless campaigning. Because all the people that work for Miramax, I believe you told me this a few years ago, they now work for Netflix, and we're seeing that. There's That movie does not deserve 12 Oscar nominations. Every single major actor in that movie does not deserve an Oscar nomination. But, by the way, so. um, uh, what films this year, and we're talking with Jason Konigsberg, you could check out his reviews on a regular basis at panandslam.com, didn't get nominated for any Academy Awards that you think were deserving of some Oscars? My Usually, I, I struggle with this question. This year, it's a very easy... My two favorite movies of last year, my favorite movie of last year was The Last Duel, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, Ben Affleck. They also wrote the movie, uh, Damon and Affleck. That was my favorite movie of last year. No Oscar nominations. Uh, and the French Dispatch, the new Wes Anderson movie. I know you're a Wes. Anderson I am. I haven't seen one. it yet. It's on. I, I'm so far behind because of uh, Young Carmine that uh, I'm I'm embarrassed. But I I'm looking forward to seeing that one. It was it's worth on seeing. HBO Max. It's on, and you should see that before you see any of the Best Picture nominees. Really? Okay. Those were my two favorites. So it sounds like uh, you know, Power of the Dog, notwithstanding. You didn't think uh, this this crop of Best Picture nominees was too impressive? No, not particular. I kept hoping to really, you know, every time I went to see one, I was hoping, oh, this is going to be good. And eh, not, not really. Um, I, I was, I was actually most disappointed with um, probably the power of the dog. But yeah, none of them were really that impressive. I guess of the looking at the nominees now, I guess Drive My Car and Dune are my two favorites. Now, let's say people are in an Oscar pool and they want to make some predictions. Uh, You're usually pretty good with this stuff. Give me your predictions for what you think is going to happen in uh, the major categories. Uh, best, Best picture, best leading actor categories. Okay, well, I think Best Picture, because she won the DGA and and it seems that there's nothing, she's won every award to this point. Uh, Jane Campion is going to, she's the first first woman nominated twice for Best Director. She was nominated for The Piano. Did you ever see The Piano? I saw it. I, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I thought it was good. I liked it. I remember liking that, you know, years ago, much more than Power of the Dog. So Jane Campion, talented uh, director, just I didn't love the Power of the Dog. Um, And Sam Elliott, he had some controversial words for it, saying like a woman from New Zealand or or Australia, wherever she's from, they can't, you know, direct an American Western. I don't think that's true, but uh, that wasn't, I don't think the direction was really my only problem with it. But I think Power of the Dog is going to win Best Picture. I think Power of the Dog, Jane Campion is going to win Best Director. Um, and then as we go down further, best actor, um, it's probably going to be Will Smith. I really? Think, for yeah, I. What are the other? I'm trying to let me look at what the other nominees are uh, for best actor. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Will Smith because I kind. It's kind of like the you know it's his year sort of thing. So um, I would say probably maybe Benedict Cumberbatch has a chance to upset. But I think it's going to be Will Smith for Best Actor in a Leading Role, Best Actor in a Supporting Role. I think it's going to end up being uh, Troy Kotsur from CODA. Um, So I would say put your money on him. Uh, Best Actress in a Leading Role. This one is a two-way race, I think. It's going to be either Kristen Stewart for Spencer. I think she's the popular choice. 
but I think the critic slash academy choice is going to be Jessica Chastain for Eyes of Tammy Faye. They're both playing famous people, but I feel like Jessica Chastain has a little bit more prestige to her. It's sort of like, remember when Stallone lost to Mark Rylance right. or Bridge of Sp- Okay, it's sort of like a lot of people may still view Kristen Stewart as, you know, uh, Twilight and all that garbage that she used to make, even though she's really a talented actress. And also, not for nothing, I don't think... That, did you see Spencer? It's on Hulu right now. No, not yet. Not yet. It's not that good. Eyes of Tammy Faye is good only because Jessica Chastain is incredible in it. She's outstanding. So if you get a chance to see that, that's on HBO Max. That's more worth watching, I think, than Spencer. I, I had uh, Ben Menkowitz from um, TCM on yesterday. He was predicting Coda, which I saw and I really liked. What did you think of Coda and what do you think For of Coda's picture? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't think that's good. I mean, because it won, what did it win? It's good, it's fine. I like The Sound of Metal a little bit better from last year, which dealt with similar themes, I guess. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I would say, I, 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 I don't know. He thinks that's going to win Best Picture over Power that, of the Dog? Really? That's what he said, yeah. That's what he said. Okay, well, maybe that'll win Best Picture and Jane Campion will win Best Director. I could see something like that happening, but I think if it's going to go to a movie that's on a streaming service, I think it's going to go to Netflix. Interesting, that's, interesting. That's I just I feel like it's, you know, a big like Warner Brothers or Disney versus Little Puny, I don't know, a Little Puny uh, studio that puts something out. Not that Apple's puny, but you get the point. Like, I mean, Netflix has been a powerhouse and a force at the Oscars before with The Irishman, Roma. Um, I feel like they have, you know, big movies. Marriage Story was a, a Netflix movie. So I just feel like Netflix, they have a lot more money and a lot more, I don't know, campaigning involved in this. So um, do you have any other? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say one other. Um, you would go over the actress. Uh, we best yeah. actress. I think it's going to be Jessica Chastain. Actress is in a supporting role. I think absolutely. Put your money on Ariana DeBose for West Side Story because um, I, I highly doubt anyone else is going to win in that acting category. So that those would be my uh, – for the big categories, for the acting nominations, I would say those would be the ones you should place your bets on. Now, um, in terms of any rooting interest that you might have, is there anybody nominated in any category that you really feel is particularly deserving and that you're really hoping pulls out a win this year? Not really. I mean, I love Paul Thomas Anderson, but I didn't love Licorice Pizza, so I definitely think he will be nominated again for something in the future. Um, and so it would be nice to see him win his first Oscar, but not for that movie. It's kind of like when Kate Winslet won for The Reader. I was like, oh, come on. She's great. She's deserving, but there's so many better movies. Um, otherwise, no, there really isn't, because like I said, my favorite movies, none of them uh, got any major nominations from this past year, uh, and I really didn't think this was a great year for movies, probably because of COVID uh, being a factor. Um, I think the cinemas, I, I would like to see a movie that gets to come out and released in cinemas the old fashioned way, but I just, you know, it's, it's just not happening. Maybe Kenneth Branagh, because I realized he has a few nominations for Belfast and he's a, you know, terrific actor, writer, director, and he has been for quite some time. Uh, he, he's never won. I think he has the record now for most different nominations in different category, director, picture, actor, supporting actor, obviously not for the same movie and over a 
career of, you know, 30 something years. Um, so maybe I would like to see Kenneth Branagh finally win an Oscar for Belfast. Well, it's certainly going to be interesting. Hey, one of the things that we've seen is the Academy Awards has shedded audience in recent years. It used to be uh, the entertainment version of the Super Bowl. It used to be the thing that everybody watched that you knew everyone was going to be talking about the next day. These days, that's not the case. Why do you think the audience for these award shows and the Oscars specifically has diminished over the years? Why, I would say for this year, it's harder to see these movies. But what about last year? How many different streaming services to see all of these movies? Right, it's true. And then go to the theater. And with going to the theater the past two years, obviously, up until very recently, COVID was a major, you know, deterrent for that. Um, So that's a factor. So I I think people don't want to get every streaming service for, you know, to see every single movie. That's, uh, you know... That's a burden. That's whereas in the old days, if you had cable, you had HBO or Showtime, and, you know, you could rent the movies. You could go to the video store and rent them. Now I guess you could rent them on Amazon or, you know, pay uh, on demand them. But And I think a lot of people are cutting cable. That's a reason why. I mean, that's a reason why I, you know, I have to get creative if I'm going to watch them. I don't have cable anymore. Mm. So, um, yeah, but uh, there's there's ways around it. I mean, we all might know someone who has cable or someone who pays for the Hulu Live or YouTube Live TV or stuff like that. But uh, it's just not, yeah, it's not feasible anymore. Whereas I, I'm not the biggest football fan. I love baseball, but yeah, football has somehow has a stranglehold on our country with Sundays. And if there's a big football game, whether they like the teams or not, they're going to watch it. So that's, it's just a, it's a different, you know, different animal. Movies don't have the same uh, impact or pull on our, culture our society as football does so i guess that's a major major factor and people haven't seen these movies maybe if spider-man was nominated or the batman was nominated i guess this was why i remember how i was against them trying to do the most popular movie and i said no that's the people choice awards that's the mtv awards we shouldn't have to do that maybe that the oscars were you know trying to get ratings are there any big are there any big scandals this year in recent years we had the oscars so white scandal then we had the uh uh, the Me Too scandal and some other related issues. Is there anything very controversial this year that people are on the lookout for? Think of yeah, I mean, there were years ago there was I forgot Casey Affleck was nominated uh, for him. You know, he was uh, one of the right, there, there was the Green people. Book scandal. You know, Green, the, well, Green Book just wasn't. Yeah, there was a scandal also saying that the movie was uh, you know pretty much a hundred percent not true. Right. Um, but yeah, Green Book was sort of the uh, white savior, you know, movie du jour uh, of that year. Yeah, I guess there isn't really that. There's a lot of female nominees, a lot of nom- in you know categories where there aren't usually female nominees there's a lot of nominees of color uh black white hispanic um asian uh if you get a chance i did enjoy drive my car it's three hours and i I think that's another factor why maybe people aren't into movies so much we don't have the stipulations of vhs or the old days where a movie had to be around two hours or where they wanted to fit in as many movies as they could in a screening time in a theater now you know movies are three hours they don't care they're three hours and I think that's detrimental because they sit down and give up three hours of their time for something that they may not even like. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's true. But, By the but way, watch Drive My Car on HBO if you get a chance. That is deserving of its nominations. I wish it got more nominations. Last question. Is there anything that you really uh, disliked that's nominated for Best Picture? Forgetting about not being crazy about, but strongly actually disliked. Very easy question for me. Don't look up. 
You didn't like so it. So many people. I hated Don't Look Up. I uh, did you like it, Frank? I did. Yeah, I liked it a lot, actually. Oh, do you like your subtlety with a sledgehammer <laughs> to the head, Frank? Oh my God, it was trying. Frank, do yourself a favor, Frank. Do yourself a favor and and make Rachel watch it. Go and watch. Don't watch any of the Oscar nominees if you like that. Go watch Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove, or how we learned to stop worrying. Sure. Well, I've seen Doctor Strangelove. I, I well, think that is on Rachel. You need to see it again to remember how. So, so then you realize how bad. Don't look. Fair, fair enough, um, Jason. Yeah. It is always a treat, my friend. Um, I will look forward to our next in-person interaction and our next radio interaction. Absolutely. Uh, tremendous. Great, great being back on the radio. Thank you. you. Check out care, Jason Frank. and his reviews at panandslam.com. Uh, it's panandslam.com. There's also a really neat podcast on there where they go over blockbuster flops. Uh, it's called Real Big Mistakes. There's a lot of cool stuff on there. Panandslam.com. Check it out. I think you'll like it. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll do 15 seconds of fame next. You can be heard on any subject if you dial 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-WABC. All right, we're going to get right into it. Uh, it's your opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. Time for The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Faith. Anthony and Edison. Uh, yes, good morning. It's really strange how suddenly the Democrats are worried about the Ukrainians' freedom uh, over there in Europe, but they're not worried about releasing the January 6th rioters that have been held uh, for no reason in, in, in all this time. And not- Liam in the Bronx. A friend had his fingertips cut off by a loan shark because daddy owed them money. Be careful with these people, Frank, the savages. Frank in Hoboken. You the devil in the sky, could it blue eyes going straight to her? Mike in Montclair. Hi, Frank. Frank, if Sid Rosenberg is WABC's Wally Pitt, then you, Frank Morano, are its Lou Gehrig. Have a nice weekend. <laughs> I'm not so sure, but you will be able to hear me on the Bernie and Sid show starting at 6 a.m. And uh, don't miss that. We're going to have some fun. It's Greek Independence Day. We're going to do a whole bunch of... I hear our owner might be Greek. I heard something about that. Uh, the WABC Early News is next. Frank Moreno, good day.